Off the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Hello, good morning and welcome to OTBAM, half past seven. Adrian and Owen with you this morning until ten. Morning to you, Owen. Morning, Adrian. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you keeping? Yeah, good. Uh, it's, what a monster weekend of sport we have as well in a stack show that we let you know about uh, who's coming up in just a few moments' time. But what a monster weekend of sport between, like, the GA. I don't know, for football people like ourselves, on is that fair enough to say? Neither, neither of our counties are hurling stronghold. Speak for yourself. Right, they're probably both at a similar level, to be fair. Uh, but the football feels, uh, the championship feels like it's really landed this weekend. You have that, the Merseyside Derby, obviously the bit of the boxing. Uh, Munster Ulster getting it underway tonight like it is a, a yet another weekend where it'll be hard to get off the couch. Um, April was always going to shape up to be uh, a bit of a disaster if you wanted to do anything with your life other than watch sport. It felt like there's only like one or two days, but it's not something of significance on and like even even the down days uh, and the, the down moments have been like populated by things like the Sligo under twenties giving you a fairy tale story. Yeah. Uh, today, where there's not Champions League on tomorrow, I think there's more under twenties action next week. So it's even the midweeks are, are kind of uh, fairly well stacked as well. I'm getting very partial to a um, rugby uh, one of these inter pros ideally on a Friday night as well, eight o'clock. It's almost ideal time. Like it sort of keeps you steers you away from the late late show. Do you know what I mean? Like it lasts long enough that you've missed the window of that starting, which is great. Yeah. Steering in the right direction. And this is not a factor for a buck like yourself who's out and about town. Is the late, late not something you want to get the start of? Is it not, would you not like make a request to the URC to ask for like a 10 o'clock kickoff? It's kind of something you don't want to see any of, ideally, right. isn't it? Uh, God. One Friday morning host throws other Friday show under a bus this morning in uh, broadcasting beef shocker. It's, it's, it has its place in time. Uh, and obviously getting to games. I was at the uh, Aviva, obviously, last Oh, nice one. And, um, delight to be there, Owen. How was it? It was grand. The atmosphere was... Somebody was texting me saying, oh, the atmosphere looks pretty flat. It was grand for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Particularly when the third try went in. That was it. Like, any sense of... Um, what was it Mick was saying on the show the other week... Uh, tearing on put, throw me on another pint it was definitely at that point everybody understood whatever was going on with the pitch was the result it was it was a shame it was a shame and it, it, I to be honest kind of felt as if it would have been like the, not that it would have been out of sight but like there would have been a 12 point lead let's say almost from the first leg and the fact that it wasn't and it was tight and it could have been much tighter and the fact that Connick started with a head of steam I thought Jesus this is a game in here like um and the tries just killed it and that's what Lencer do obviously they just they, they turn over the ball and before you blink you're 20 points behind and that's what happened how many points did you have um, at the game I had three okay yeah and did you hang around much. after in the premium section to no I wasn't in the premium uh, section oh. at all no 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 no, no wow no. Uh, I did have very good seats just out of pure coincidence but right. um, no I didn't hang around I, uh, I did go to the pub afterwards it's like you know you'd be sort of rude not to but um a good Friday indeed for Adrian <laughs> Barry, Friday, it seems. Friday, Congratulations Friday. to you and your uh, Leinster brethren. Did it feel dirty 
beating your own people in such no, 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 fashion? No, no, no. I was sitting with a mate of mine who's from about 30 yards away from me at home who's a Connacht fan. But of and, course, uh, if you are from Connacht. Half an hour in, he had the blue flag out and he was he was waving it around going, <laughs> right, it might as well have been a white flag. But, uh, ah, look, it's, yeah, it is a shame. It is a shame. Because, like, it is, that, the Leinster-Connacht thing has almost been the most competitive rivalry uh, of all the provinces, which is no slight in anybody, over the last uh, couple of years, probably. So you just had hoped that... And, like, the quality of the players that are there... And, like, it's the second time I've seen Mac Hansen live at the Aviva for Connacht. And he's so impressive. And I know this is awful for Connacht fans, but, like, I couldn't help but think... He should get himself down the road, really. Like, at some point or another, he's... Down the road to... To Munster, or, you know, like... It's unlikely that he'd end up going to... going to. And, like, look, that's the reality for, I suppose, the best of the Connacht players. It has always been the reality. This is not breaking news, me saying this. Um, and are you saying that because Munster is a bigger club, or are you saying that because, he, you know, his uh, the Cork connection, or what's the... Uh, not, look at the Cork connection, fair enough, but I, I think more that, like... We'll talk about you know, a bit about United in a bit, but there's a lot of similarities I think between the clubs almost at the minute in the sense that there's a bit of rebuilding to be done. That uh, one is clearly a major rework job. That I'm not sure about the two transfer windows and whether that's the other is Manchester United. Hey, uh, but I, I, uh, I you know, the, the Munster are going to get their act together, right? Yeah. It's the thing they absolutely are in a way that they haven't done. Let's face it, over the last while well, they're, you know, um, they're they're. They're tipping along at the minute. That's about it. And they need to be doing much more than that. And they need to be, like Ronald Garris column in the examiner a couple of weeks ago, absolutely the nail in the head. They need to be week in, week out competitive with Leinster. Whatever about what happens in the Heineken Cup, that look after itself. But unless they're hitting that mark, and they're not at the minute. And a player like him, I think that, like, you know, if, if you've got the ambition of trying to win the Heineken Cup, um, I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, he's got tattoos of his, some of his teammates on his on his leg or whatever. I don't know how that goes around when he hits the Munster, but... Yeah. Well, how, that, obviously, this is not going to go down well with Connacht fans, this this idea that he would just... No, look, I appreciate that, that, but... you think that he would do that. I mean, that's a pretty... Yeah, but uh, but the but the best of, of Connacht players have always done that. Like, Bundy might be one of the uh, few kind of um, exceptions to it, you know, like a player, and I'm not talking about the likes of John Muldoon, who, um, like, obviously the big club stalwart and a brilliant player for the club over a number of years but I'm talking about the likes of Bundy he's the exception that's we, we call him out as the exception more typically players go on to hit a, hit a level or a mark and they go on to uh, Leinster or they go, go on to Munster or whatever the case might be so um, like I'm not uh, it's not that's not breaking news that shouldn't be the case though should it like that, that it should uh, absolutely not be the case there should be I, I don't think it's going to happen by the way I don't think that that's Anything that he's he's thinking about it, I think that they've got a fantastic coach and a setup there that gives them belief to have ambition for next season. And even within this season of of, of maybe even looking around and saying, can we look at Ulster and Munster and say, you know what, we're the second team in in Ireland, quality wise, form wise, and can that be an ambition over the next eighteen months? I think that that, that can be a realistic ambition given, the, the, as I say, the coach that they have and some of the players that they have. And surely those players think that that's a foundation to get onto the next level then. Like the first time ever yeah. they've got out of their uh, pool in totally. Europe. Granted, it was a bloated knockout stage of the season. But I don't know. I, I think that like I, I do agree that Munster will probably come back. But I think that there's a bit of a rising tide in, in Connacht and, and in Ulster as well, especially at the moment. I'm not sure that that classic Munster are bigger than the other two provinces is necessarily going to maintain over the next little well, while. Well, look, it's the case now, right, from their from their tradition and their history and stuff. It would be a more attractive proposition to go to as a player if 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 all is equal. equal. That's, yeah. that's without doubt. But 
Uh, and absolutely you're right that we should have four really competitive provinces I'm not for a second suggesting that it's right that that's the case but I think that if you place yourself in the position of the player and you're hungry and ambitious to win a Heineken Cup which is which is the the holy grail obviously at that level then I think you know you've got to be look, you've got you're going to be looking at Leinster but a position a player in Mac Hansen's position I don't think I almost think there's room for him at uh, at Leinster like would he get into that Leinster team if he can get into the Ireland team, I suppose he can. He can uh, well, that's a very good point. He'll probably he get into Leinster. But I mean, you know, it'd be a bad decision also from the RFU's point of view to be sending a player like him to. That's not. Let's let's just assume that, that ain't bad. happening, that right? Bad, that yeah. ain't happening. So the other the other option, I think, if you're if you were hungry for winning Heighton Cups, as as much progress as Connacht have, has made, because like uh, this is not me saying that. <laughs> you know, uh, to Heller, to Connacht, or, you know, send them back <laughs> in another 20 years. Like what I am saying is they've come on light years over the last number of years in terms of their general ambition, the general running of the club. Andy Friend has been, like, a revelation there. So, and and you hope that they kick on, right? But, like, Connacht are absolutely not in the conversation at the minute for winning a Heineken Cup. And even Munster, as poor as they've been over the last couple of years, are probably still looking, I don't know what the start of the season odds are, but they're probably like 10th or 11th favourites still to win the thing. So not a huge amount of progression needed there. And I'm just saying at that individual level, if you are a player who's ambitious to win trophies, then it's a very natural uh, step to make. Connacht should actually be you know, listening to this and getting their blood boiling to a level where they're having conversations with David Nusifora about, no, screw that, how do we get players from Munster, the players below the guaranteed starters? I'm not saying that there's a number 10 jersey up for grabs in Connacht right now, but could they look at two of the, the kids in Munster who were linked with French teams? Well, certainly Jack Rowley was linked with Irish last season. Ben Healy has obviously been yeah. linked with a move to Scotland. Like, well, 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 just well, just to pull you under this buzz with me, that what you've just said there is more offensive to Connacht than anything I've said because you're talking about like not you're saying what's the second tier player that you have that you can not throw at all. Away? One of those players was linked with the team who got to the Champions Cup. No, look, no, I, I, I accept that, and actually the, the point that you make is rock solid. Players, like it's the, rock solid, the, but it's an acceptance are going to of top class players. Yeah, yeah, but it's but it still places Connacht in an academy type situation. Not really, no. It's like who, who are you realistically going to going to get? Like, like I mean, you're you're not saying you're not saying like send them up Jack O'Donoghue and like send them up Joey Carberry and. Well, why like, not? Why, 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 no, but that's why, not why, what you're you saying. Know? You're saying give them the next the second tier of players. Like, I mean, it's outrageous. On I think that's if you said that Jack Crowley and Ben Healy are the second tier players, I think in a matter of time they will be very much the top tier of players. Maybe not for Munster. Maybe Joey Carberry is, is going to be the 10 for the next little while, given his own age. And that's something that just is is a long-term thing. That's not so much a second-tier thing. It's about resources that maybe aren't being utilised that are maximum potential right now at Munster, given the backlog of 10s. And you could argue that even their correct decision wasn't reached over the last little while in terms of keeping those players at Munster, given the backlog yeah. that exists. Yeah, so, it's a fair um, share. Maybe the 10 situation is a bit of a bad example because it's quite specialised at the moment, especially in Munster. And maybe the experimentation of Carberry at 15 is something that might loosen up things there. But yeah, like I, I guess maybe that, that attitude still does prevail around Connacht where it's like you're not, you're not going to say send him Johnny Sexton or send him Joey Carberry. Yeah. It's, um, the development province is, is that, that's still that, um, that attitude probably prevails in our conversations, which, which it shouldn't be. Um, and and like the comparisons with the other uh, Reds across the water, um, not certainly anywhere near as as desperate. But uh, Eric Ten Hag is in, and some chat this morning about he's going to bring the assistant that he has with him at Ajax with him to United. 
And as one of the tabloids has it this morning, they've literally written Steve McLaren uh, to come with him as well. So I don't know exactly how that would work um, in the sense of bringing his, his own number two with him as well. But that that's what they're talking about. Reports that he's going to get 120 million to save the club. I don't know, is that 120 million before he gets rid of all the dead weight or that he can get rid of all of those as well and keep that money too? But um, is there a case? Is there a case that he gets rice? He gets like he needs a centre half. Does he get Harry Kane now that he's no longer City probably don't need him anymore or somebody of that ilk? Players of character and players of quality and that there's three positions, three players that come in, like the Ranyuk thing about the two windows bit. Like maybe there is a bit of sense in that and that's not about winning the Premier League because I don't think that they, they need a bit more... Um, they need more work than that but it is curing Champions League straight off the bat and suddenly they've made a huge bit of progress. Yeah, like I, I think they've, they'll end up coming quite close with the squad that they currently have to getting Champions League. At, at that being said, the squad just clearly isn't good enough right now, and it's going to take a, a long time for it to be good enough. That it, it feels in one way that that the Eric Ten Hag appointment is just a massive PR win for Manchester United because it feels positive. It feels like a fresh new young voice coming into the club I don't know why he's being attached so much to, to the whole new thing given he actually isn't that, that young I don't know, I don't know why he, like, <laughs> yeah. like he's 52 right. like I mean this isn't it's young on. This that's is, young this Come isn't Julian now. Nagelsmann but it kind of feels that you know everybody's kind of uh, there's this kind of fresh feeling around Eric Ten Hag is he, old, is he older than Pochettino potentially um but it definitely felt it like that he Poch was, is about 50. Yeah, he actually is older than... Yeah, Poch is 50, Ten Hag is 52. So they've actually gone for an older appointment between mm. the two of them. But it does feel that there's kind of like a, a fresh new broom coming in to sweep away everything that's happened over the last little while. Whether or not that's going to be the reality, I'm not sure. But it definitely feels that PR-wise it's been a good move. And it is a good move. The thing is, though, it is that attached with an expectation that immediate success is going to come because if that's the case it's going to go the same way as the last little while like it's it's hard to know what would have happened if there was a different attitude at Manchester United to long term planning under any of their managers since Ferguson like you'd have to say that under Jose Mourinho that was going to be a disaster anyway he was never going to be a long term uh, visioned manager maybe someone like Solskjaer if things had been different above him maybe things could have gone differently well, that would have been the ideal long term possibly of course, yeah of course it just didn't work he wasn't able but there's it. also a chance that maybe he's a mediocre manager as well like mm. I, I definitely thought that at the time I think <laughs> Raniak has almost proved that uh, I think Solskjaer's stock has uh, risen a little bit because of what ha- has happened under Raniak but it has felt as well that the, the sort of fresh new approach to Manchester United was being adopted when Raniak came in and yes I know it was a temporary thing mm. but it did feel you know this is a bit different and it hasn't worked like as a manager it just not it has not worked whatsoever this kind of feels similar I know it's different but it kind of feels similar so I, I wouldn't be holding my breath for this to be a massive success immediately but if they put the trust in him to not only just take the team over the next couple of windows but to take them beyond that to realise that this is a long term planning job to listen to what Ranić said the other day that there is a six year gap between Manchester United and Liverpool then they might be onto something the problem is if they think right here's our war chest for the summer let's get in Declan Rice and if we don't get Declan Rice let's get another midfielder who's worth 80-90 million and, and same with Harry Kane it's going to be side to Kane if we don't get him uh, uh, for 80-90 for million quid and, and away we go I'm not sure that that, that actually is going to be uh, conducive to long-term success for Manchester United. I think it's a, as much to do with selling the players that, that they have that are are not going to take you to, to Liverpool or Manchester City's level uh, and slowly and surely building up and up and up. But even that doesn't come with its guarantees as well. I think that if you look at the, the Liverpool model, there's been some sensational moments there rather than just sensible long-term planning. Yeah, and they've made a lot of bad decisions over the last number of years as well. So that this 
everybody I think who's who's tied in some way to United is feeling that at last a right decision but who knows until uh, we see a bit down the track uh, commenting from Dara Munster haven't scored a try against Leinster since 2018 not exactly an attractive <laughs> prospect for any talented player to join I, I don't know that it's actually fully true but I mean I guess if he's done he's done research a bit better than we have but is that not the reason they need Mac Hansen is that not the point I don't know yeah like I mean I this is this is not going to. I I think yeah, I, I would just. I don't think anybody's looking at the the Connacht Munster relationship like that anymore. Uh, unfortunately, that it's a, a sort of feeder club where it will be an 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 immediate step up to be going down to Munster. And Stephen says 120 million won't be enough to buy both Rice and Kane. Never mind a top class centre half as well. So yeah, I don't know. Does he get rid of a lot of the other players, Stephen? And then suddenly he's got loads more money to play with. Uh, who knows? But we shall find out over the next while you're watching. Go to AM. It's gone a quarter to eight. Uh, we are brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up over uh, the course of the next couple of hours. We are going to be joined at the line uh, imminently by Alan Dawson, a reporter around boxing and MMA, about the recent uh, fallout of the events around. Daniel Kinahan and uh, the press conference specifically that he was covering over the last few days. We will talk to him shortly. Quivo O'Neill of The Athletic. Uh, what an interesting time to be uh, reporting in Liverpool. Uh, the Merseyside Derby obviously this weekend and the over and back between themselves and City is fascinating. Let you know what's happening across the back pages of the newspapers around about 25 past 8. Quick picks this morning. It'll be Ashling and Will. Uh, the first of the championship instalments coming your way at 20 to 9 this morning hopefully less shambolic than we were in the league Alan Quinlan uh, we might put that back handsome point to him at uh, 10 to 9 this morning so if you have any thoughts on that um, or indeed anything else rugby wise get them in for Quinny he's live with us at 10 to 9 Owen's been talking to uh, the soon to be retired Devin Toner that's coming your way at 10 past 9 a live crappy quiz it's myself versus Ger versus Arthur that's the one Right, that's at uh, quarter past nine and uh, lots more build up uh, to the GA season as well from half past nine this morning. So that is what's coming your way uh, over the course of the next couple of hours. And by the way, uh, for the second day running, we're celebrating the end of the race season at Punjistan uh, Festival. And with thanks to Close Brothers, we've two pairs of tickets to give away this morning to next week's festival. One lucky winner as well from uh, this morning's winners and yesterday morning's winners will all go into the hat to have their prize upgraded to an include lunch for two and B&B at the Louis Fitzgerald Hotel uh, coach transfers to and from the race course and to be in with a chance to win this morning's prize just tell us who is this mystery voice this legendary Irish jockey you might as well be honest no point in taking the plaudits it wasn't my idea <laughs> if you need it here it is again you might as well be honest no point in taking the plaudits it wasn't my idea <laughs> you can uh, whatsapp us in 0879180180 and uh, let us know where it is that you're watching uh, as well you can tweet your answer to at off the ball as well so uh, right turn to, uh, time to turn our attention to something very different last Saturday night just days after a 5 million dollar bounty was put on his head by the US state Daniel Kinnan got an in octagon shout out from the US uh, UFC fighter Munir Lazez Alan Dawson's been tracking the Kinnan story and took him up in those comments at the post fight press conference. We'll be joined by Alan in just a moment. First of all, take a look. I think the most important question is in your post-fight victory speech, you said if it wasn't for Daniel Kinahan, you wouldn't be here. Can you explain what you meant by that? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, that man is a friend and advisor, you know. He's, uh, he's the one when I was, he picked me up when uh, every time uh, um, the life it kicked me down. He's a real man of his word, and uh, you know, uh, he's the one who teach me what does it mean a real family, a real friend, and uh, you know, uh, it's um, 
It's someone I cannot uh, thank him enough for uh, where I am today and who I am, uh, who I am today. Are you aware that Daniel Kinahan this week was sanctioned by the U.S. government because he, quote, sources large quantities of cocaine from South America? No, I don't know that. Okay, he was sanctioned on Monday by the U.S. government, and on I, Tuesday there's a $5 million bounty on his head for information that might lead to his arrest. I think I'm here to, the, to entertain people, you know, and uh, I say uh, uh, I give the credit to whoever, uh, I mean, uh, deserve credit. Uh, I'm not involved in this uh, kind of stuff. I mean, like, uh, uh, I, I don't know about it, and I will investigate how, how, how it is and how it's go. But by name-dropping Daniel Kinahan, you're kind of legitimizing this figure in combat sports. No, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not, for me, it's simple thing, you know, it's, it's friend outside the gym, you know, and just I meet him for advice and this, and he helped me through my career, so. At a press conference in Dublin on Tuesday, police there said, for a message anyone in combat sports who continues to work with him, that they're, and I quote, involved in a criminal network. I, 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 I don't, I don't um, you know what I mean? I don't uh, follow really the, this kind of news. I focus in the sport. I focus in my family. I focus uh, and entertain people, and that's the most important, you know. Okay, there's people online who think that you've undone your win by shouting out Daniel Kinahan. <laughs> well, why shout out Daniel Kinahan if he doesn't want to talk about Daniel Kinahan? There's people Any online. other question, please? Yeah, and the man asking the uh, questions there is Alan Dawson, boxing and MMA reporter. He's written, reporter and questioned extensively around Daniel Kinnan's involvement in those sports for the last few years. He joins us on the line now. Morning, Alan. Morning. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on and uh, well done for being so persistent in your line of questioning as well. It seemed as if you were getting heckled a little bit from the room as that went on. Sorry, can you say that again? You were getting heckled a little from the room as that questioning went on. Uh, yeah, just from the, uh, I think it was a... Turned out probably to be a uh, one of his training member of his training team, probably a coach. I know. Excuse me. I think he was asking, uh, well, demanding for the conversation to be moved on to the actual fight. But when you're uh, shouting out Daniel Kinahan uh, on a week, well, on Monday, let's go back. That Daniel Kinahan was sanctioned by the U.S. government uh, on Tuesday. There was a five million dollar bounty for information that um, might lead to his financial disruption, uh, arrest, or conviction, and all through the week, you know, my phone was then blowing up, uh, you know, sources wanting to speak. And, you know, there's more people potentially embroiled in this mess. And we're kind of seeing the undoing of some parts of UMP and boxing this week. Um, uh, I was speaking to a source at Discovery, uh, a $60 billion broadcast company over here in the US. Uh, and and they were doing additional due diligence on their Eurosports Probellum deal. So all of these things were kind of happening. And I, I honestly went to the UFC show uh, on the Saturday thinking, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's a day off from Daniel Kinahan news. So I just couldn't believe that on that week, uh, Manir Luzez shouts out Daniel Kinahan uh, on US soil uh, at a, U- a UFC event, so that's a US company, on a live US uh, network on ESPN. Uh, it always just seemed wildly inappropriate so as soon as that happened i think it was only midway through the card i just went back to the to the press conference area to kind of wait for Liz's and and try and ask the first question oh, and the second and the third and the fourth uh, but yeah but by the time it got to the fourth one of his coaches was t- saying to focus on the fight but how can you, you know, the, 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 to be fair to Liz's the fight was he, he had a really good he's always been a really good kickboxer great striker very uh, tv friendly style um but 
it's kind of you know there's bigger things going on it's when you, we've seen it in boxing through the years with countless uh, people in boxing boxers execs uh speaking positively of of daniel kinahan um you know saying that he's a great guy and that he's great for boxing and it just goes against everything that i've heard from daniel kinahan i've heard that he's bullied his way to the top of boxing uh, i've heard that he's uh, an associate of his was strong arming people uh, into into you know coercive deals um one person said do i need to call my friend in dubai to straighten this out and you know now now we're seeing the fallout of 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 an alleged narco terrorist what sort of you, you know people just even a, a, a rumored link with probellum and and euro and eurosport is enough for discovery to just completely bail from boxing uh, so they don't want to have any part of it now so we're seeing sponsors and we're seeing broadcasters flee sponsors might follow suit down the line um so the, the fight is irrelevant when you when you're bringing up daniel kinahan in my point in my opinion so um, yeah, why shout out Daniel Kinahan if you don't want to talk about Daniel Kinahan? And then Manir Luzez said, you know, can we have another question on the fight? And I said, I've got no questions then. Like, there's so many fascinating things about what he said in that press conference yesterday or last week. And firstly, the fact that you maybe weren't aware of, of the Kinahan links and people weren't before last week suggests that his tentacles reach into places that people just have no idea of just yet. And then secondly, it's the, the nature of his relationship with these fighters. Like, this isn't, I, I don't know, questioning Eddie Howe about Saudi Arabia with Newcastle United. And he's like, that's nothing to do with me. You know, this, this is uh, way above my head and something that I'm not involved in. These people are talking about deep, meaningful life relationships with this guy. This isn't just some sort of fight broker, or some businessman who exists in the background. These people are coming forward with almost anecdotal information about how Daniel Kinahan has had a significant part to play in their life and their growth as, as humans. Like, it's extraordinary the, the, the nature of these relationships. Yeah, they're all quite formulaic. I think they all kind of follow a similar theme that they're, you know, always, always what a great guy he is. Uh, they've helped with family and helped with other things. And um, it, what Laziz was saying kind of did echo what we've heard from, um, you know, prominent boxers, I think. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to hear from like pro Kinahan. I mean, we're probably not going to hear from, the, from them now, but I'd be curious what, what, how he actually helped in terms of boxing. You know, that, I feel like there's quite, some some things are still quite vague when it comes to how he's actually helped in boxing. Um, you know, one of the things people would pro Kinahan people would say over the last few years was that he's responsible for making the big fights happen, but he didn't make Joshua and Fury happen. And uh, if he's got any continued invo- uh, involvement with Terence Crawford, one of the best boxers in the world, then one of the best fights in the world that can that could happen with Errol Spence Jr. and Terence Crawford, that just can't happen. Showtime boss Steven Espinosa has already been on record saying it would just be, I think the exact word was uh, too prob- problematic uh, because it's, it just involves too many legal things now. No US company, bank, financial institution can do business with Daniel Kinahan. So I'd be amazed if Crawford has, still has got a link with, with Kinahan, but... You know, he's Kinahan's not been responsible for the big fights. He's bullied his way to the top of boxing, I've heard. Um, and Europe, the state of European boxing is in a bit of a mess at the moment. The, you talked about the prom, prominent boxers, Alan, like the Tyson Fury comments. None of my business, basically. And, uh, you know, I, everything I've ever seen about him, he's, he's a great guy. Now, those sort of comments have kind of uh, disappeared a little bit. They're just really at pains to say, look, it's none of my, none of my business. And, you know, I, I bumped into him in Dubai. I just bumped into the guy. What am I to do? What, I, the one thing I did wonder, what, and, and the same point almost about the Lizzie's, 
they are hamstrung. Like, they are between a very heavy rock and a hard place in terms of what they can actually say here. Yeah, it, it, to be fair, it's a legal thing. And, you know, they well, Laziz probably wouldn't have had any legal advice or PR advice before he got into that press conference. I don't think he was expecting uh, someone, maybe not necessarily me, but someone like me who actually has a bit of background knowledge on, on uh, you know, the cartel and Daniel Kinahan's presence in boxing uh, to be able to put, push some questions toward him uh, about how it was quite inappropriate. But one of the things Laziz and Tyson Fury have both got in common is that they brought up Kinahan repeatedly. Well, maybe not Laziz, but he's brought it up once. Mm. Uh, but Fury's brought him up repeatedly. He's saying it's not none of, none of my business and whatever else, but he's made it the public's business. He's made it the media business because even, let's go back two years ago, uh, just after there was that video he put on in, uh, Instagram, I think it was, where he said, "I'm just after getting off the phone with da- with Daniel Kinahan, uh, get in there, my boy." Um, about two weeks later, he suggested in another post, which is probably deleted now, that Daniel Kinahan should be PM. Uh, so I presume that meant Prime Minister. I don't know if he meant the Prime Minister of England or the um, the TS in in Ireland, mm. but he was still putting Daniel Kinahan's name out there in public. So I still think, people, you know, Tyson Fury still has uh, ans- questions to um, to answer, particularly about um, legitimising or trying to legitimise Daniel Kinahan in, in boxing. He's he's one of the most prominent people who has continued to bring in Daniel Kinahan's name. He's made it our business to ask questions. When you compare the two sports in question here, boxing you can see being quite vulnerable to this sort of thing because it is sort of the Wild West when it comes to who actually runs the sport, whereas with MMA, it's pretty clear who runs the sport. So what has been the UFC reaction to this on an official level? Has there been a request for comment? Have they said anything on this? Because this is a pretty significant connection between them and, and Daniel Kinahan, or between one of their fighters, I should say, and, and Daniel Kinahan. Yeah, so the, I spoke to ESPN and the UFC, and the ESPN, ESPN res- response was uh, they, they declined to comment. Uh, and I, speak, I tried to speak to multiple people at the UFC, and it was it was hard to even get a no comment. Um, I'd still like to speak to Dana White about it because both the UFC and Dana White seem to kind of portray this. You know, they want to be the bastions of free speech, and it doesn't really matter so much if an athlete comes in and says some heinous nonsense um, because you know it's, they're free to do that. It's, it's the fight game uh, is kind of the messaging that we're getting from the UFC. But there's got to be a kind of point where if if you're shouting out an alleged narco terrorist who, according to the High Court in Ireland, is uh, responsible for international cocaine shipments, uh, weapon smuggling, and execution-style murders, uh, on a week where he's been sanctioned by the U.S. government, it's really it's it's beyond inappropriate. It's it's just like you know, it kind of it can cause a legal headache for the UFC. And it's bad for American MMA. It's bad. It's been horrible for, for European boxing, and it's just not needed in American MMA. So, um, an interview a few weeks back with the Irish boxer John O'Carroll, and he gave some big indications about the Daniel Kinahan relationship being more than just the advisor stuff. It was very uh, thinly veiled around how much of a manager he was. Can you talk to us about your sense of what his role? You touched on it earlier on, but what his role with these fighters? actually is and i suppose in an extension what happens now that uh, mtk has been shut down well one of the things i wrote uh, published on wednesday at insider it's kind of like a message more to american mma than it was boxing so i feel like boxing's kind of um grown its education base and knowledge of um daniel kinahan so, and, and to be honest to be honest when I, i've moved recently I, I was in i was based in london and i've recently moved to las vegas i've been here for about 10 weeks 
every single time I've been to an event, Daniel Kinahan has come up. It's been a really hot topic behind the scenes uh, in boxing. And I feel like MMA doesn't really know who, who he is uh, as much. Um, so that would be that would be one difference. I feel like uh, it's one of the things I published uh, this week was there's just um, uh, quite a few people on background talking about how um, just Kinahan behaves and associates of his have behaved over the past few years. Um, I don't really blame the boxers too much. I just think there's there can be victims in this, and it's kind of hard to to know who who is and who's not a victim. Um, I feel like some people have got into um, working arrangements with Kinahan, thinking it wouldn't have been as bad as what it ended up being, uh, and then at some point over the years came to regret ever going into whatever working arrangement it was. Um, but there are people in boxing who have stayed quite clear of this mess. Showtime, Premier Boxing Champions, Mayweather Promotions, Al Heyman. You know, they've, they've rarely, if ever, dealt with, uh, dealt directly with Kinahan. I don't think they've ever dealt directly with Kinahan. When it came to Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, I think that came, that, um, uh, the sort of managing of that fight came from, uh, Shelley Finkel, uh, rather than, uh, Al Heyman and Stephen Espinosa. But, you know, while boxing has probably given itself a black eye is what a lot of mainstream media will be going with. The other eye is relatively, relatively clean and American boxing will probably still thrive through those companies I just mentioned. Um, but yeah, we're just seeing a bit of a crumbling in the European boxing scene right now. Uh, the MTK global roster was so big uh, and it kind of is, it, it was very top heavy with obviously Tyson Fury and um, Josh Taylor and people like this. But when you go further down to the lesser known names i'm just curious how long some people might be out of the game while they try and find management and whether they could, they can even get fight dates if broadcasters are going so there, there could be some careers that are going to be on ice for quite a, quite a long time coming from that camp is it hard for them to get new representation new management representation advisors whatever way you want to word it uh there's just so many there, there just might be so many of them mm. that that so that, that how many companies will be able to um, welcome all of them in? If broadcasters are going, and it just depends how many fight dates they can really be offered to to um, for every single athlete in that MTK global roster to be able to have a home. Hmm. And the T's and C's that they were on in their previous company may not be as good when they go to the next one, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, we will watch that with interest over the next while. Um, I was interested to hear we had Kieran Cunningham of the Irish Daily Star who's reported on this over the last number of years as well on our show during the week on the radio show and he was talking about it uh, being the end game for Daniel Kinahan in boxing um, and I wasn't sure before I'd heard that whether this was like he'd lost the battle but would still try and win the war uh, is it the end game for him in your view Alan and also what's to stop uh, the next Daniel Kinahan doing the same thing within either uh, within either sport yeah, good question. So I think, I mean, I've, I've got to agree with Kieran. I think if he's going to try and still control things behind the scenes, it's just going to be really difficult because, especially from an American point of view, it's hard to, for people to, it's just a too, too big of a legal headache. But I mean, Bob Arum's already been saying on record uh, things about uh, Kinahan that you would think that how can they even do business again? But I feel like Bob Arum said a few things about a few people, especially Eddie Hearn. And then two hours later, they're on the phone trying to make a fight. So you know, I, I, I don't know. With, with, with Aram, I can't imagine Top Rank will ever want to go um, 
to try and do enter any arrangement with Kinahan again. I, uh, even before the sanctions, I did hear that Top Rank had already been trying to move away from um, Kinahan and Kinahan-related people and figures and companies in boxing. Um, so, from an American point of view, I, th- I feel like he's just shut out mostly because of the mostly because of the sanctions. Um, in in Europe, I feel like Eddie Hearn and Matchroom moving to DAZN. Maybe that might have been strategic to try and get away from Kinahan. Because um, I don't think Stid Designer got any involvement as well. I think they're one of the companies that are probably going to come out of this quite positively. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be t- he's, he's got far bigger problems right now, in my opinion, uh, than thinking about anything to do with boxing. Uh, but with the second part of your question, there's just nothing. There's no, there's nothing boxing can do to. Um, well, there is. There's a lot of box things boxing can do, but I, I don't think anyone is motivated to to change um, how someone like Kinahan can come in with X amount of money and just, just grow a power base within, let's say, eight years. He's he's been able to grow to boxing's top table. You know how how can that really change? Uh, I feel like the change has got to come from within, and I don't have any confidence in anyone in the sport to be able to just have basic checks and balances that can uh, prevent someone like that from from coming in. I did ask uh, a few politicians over the years, probably since twenty twenty, you know whether the UK government could do anything to, uh, you know, if, if British boxing can't even govern itself by having someone like Kinahan come in and basically control the game. I've heard that. Various uh, executives have been quite subservient to Kinahan over the years. You know, if, if boxing can't govern itself, can the UK government do anything? But it got as far as the Department of Digital Culture and Media and Sport, and then it just didn't go anywhere from there. So, yeah, th- I don't think the government's ever going to do anything, and it's, it's just up to boxing to change. But I, 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 I've got no confidence it will. Um, but that's just um, that's just boxing is what we keep on hearing. But it's, it's sad because the things, the stories that we really should be celebrating is a couple of weeks ago, I was at an Ericsson Lubin Sebastian Fundora fight and it was the best fight I'd ever seen since I've moved here. Um, and, you know, that really celebrated the best of boxing. But then like two days later, I'm dragged into all of this, um, the, you know, this scandal because, you know, this is far bigger news. But really, you know, we should be celebrating the, the, the people that are going out and putting it uh, on the line in the ring when they're, high pressure situations and just uh, performing in in ways that you know average humans like me just can't even fathom that to me is the best of the sport and there's a lot of that that is going on but it's just constantly or has constantly been overshadowed by this Kinahan created mess just before we let you away on the the obviously uh, fury white fight this weekend and how much this looms around that like i mean i guess and it probably brings us full circle back to the initial question that we asked how much of the narrative is is dictated post fight in relation to the kinahan stuff depends on who's in the room to ask the question and indeed given what happened at the pre-fight uh, press conference how many questions are actually allowed to ask yeah i, I mean I, I think even in uh Tyson Fury's last fight against the, the third instalment in the Deontay Wilder saga, uh, Daniel Kinahan overshadowed that event as well because Nicola Talent published the book uh, Clash of the Clans, and, and that really you know detailed the relationship between Tyson Fury and Daniel Kinahan. Uh, so for me, you know, Daniel Kinahan, the spectre of, of Kinahan was prevalent then, and it's prevalent again this week. Um, we, we keep on hearing things from Tyson Fury. You never really know what 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 
whether he's telling the truth or not. So I, I don't take too much stock in whether this is going to be his last fight. But if he does fight again, considering, again, this is the second fight in a row when Daniel Kinahan kind of looms over the whole event and it is because of his relationship to Tyson, whether that will just keep happening again and again and whether he'll just think enough. Because uh, he he does he did seem this week to be quite agitated by being questioned about his relationship to Kinahan. Um Maybe that will play on his mind, and it and it could affect uh, the result against Dillian White. If if that hadn't have happened, I think it would have been quite a routine Tyson Fury win. Uh, and it's also again, it's quite annoying that this is even happening because, mm-hmm. to be fair to Tyson, he is one of the best heavyweights for a, a long time. Well, certainly since Lennox Lewis. Um, but if you know if he keeps on winning, he's already um, got two wins and a draw against Deontay Wilder. He beat Vladimir Klitschko, um, you know the last uh, all-time great. And it's just uh, you know if, if if we could be talking about uh, you know one of the top fifteen heavyweights of all time, but instead we're talking about relationships to an alleged narco terrorist. Uh, Alan, we've uh, keep up the good work. You've full archive of your um, writing around Daniel Kinnan on Insider.com and indeed on uh, other sources as well. Thanks, William, for taking the call. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks a lot, Alan Dawson, on the line there, reporter on boxing and MMA, and plenty of. Uh Reaction to that as well, and it will be fascinating to see uh, what happens after the fight this weekend as to whether those questions arise or not. Uh, again, uh, a few comments coming into us. HC points out that Demi Dale scored a try against Leinster in the last game. Of course, he did. There was that famous photograph of him on bended knee and the uh, Munster players supporting, um, celebrating behind him. It was 2018 when they last scored a try against Leinster. That's the stat. That's it. We're sticking to it. Uh, uh, speaking of facts, John Wayne on Acid points out Eric Ten Hag is an anagram of. Uh, Eid, of Eid Gherkin which I mean I don't know exactly what that's in relation to he says he fears that Manchester United will remain a club in a pickle oh that's fair enough um, and Aki has never missed an opportunity in Ireland or Lions due to being a Connacht player so Hansen should stay says Michael and there's plenty of comments coming in in relation to that <laughs> that uh, what the what, what do you have against Connacht? Why, why, uh, why, why do you want Connacht to be miserable? All uh, time? Mac Hansen is mates with Andy Friend's son and was brought. That's not true, by the way, because what happens is, right, you get people, obviously, who are watching the show this morning or listening to the show and they dip in and out and they're like, oh, that fella really has an in for Connacht. I do not have an in for Connacht. Mac Hansen's mates with Andy Friend's son and was brought up, uh, was brought to Connacht through him, wasn't making huge headway down under, so he owes a bit to Connacht for giving him a chance. I think you're way off says Ronan O'Donnell and like look at there could be that bit of loyalty alright there and um, who knows I'm just saying it's got to be in. It's got to be in a conversation somewhere along the track. Uh, right, oh, we have lots still to come. We're going to be talking. Uh, we'll talk about that with Alan Quillen a bit later on. We've a live crappy quiz coming your way, uh, and plenty more besides as well. We've got a quick picks coming ahead of the G8 Championship weekend. Uh, but up next, we're going to be talking to Liverpool in the company of Quivo O'Neill. OTB AM. All right, it's uh, thirteen minutes past eight. You heard uh, Paddy and uh, Tommy and James Dunhu in the ad break there as well. You can check out the full uh, the football pod. It's up on our usual podcast feed wherever it is you get your pods. Uh, check it out because it's great stuff. And uh, more news on that coming your way and on. But you are watching OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's uh, coming up on a quarter past eight. It's time to turn to the football. And delighted to say we're joined on the line by uh, football writer with the Athletic Quivo Neil. Good morning to you, Quiva. Good morning. Last 48 hours after Tuesday night, I'm sort of interested to get your thoughts on it. If the red half was buzzing as much as it usually is, or was the fact that United were so bad, has that taken any of the edge off it or still very enjoyable? 
no, still very enjoyable for Liverpool fans. I think, you know, the 5-0 was good. The 4-0 at the time of the season, this is, you know, the, this is crunch time now. So I think Liverpool fans heading into that game were a bit nervous. United might have done something to, you know, upset uh, the title race and sort of, you know, a defeat or even a draw at this stage for Liverpool sort of means it's game over, chasing Manchester City perhaps. So I think, you know, they were happy to get that win. But as soon as the game kicked off, it just, you know, if it was quite clear quite quickly that Liverpool were going to, you know, uh, ease through the game as they did. You could tell from Thiago's showboat and that that was going to happen. And Manchester United's lack of pressing the ball, they just gave Liverpool lots of room to run into. And that's the kind of performance Liverpool can pull off when they're not challenged. And the, the tightness between City and Liverpool at the minute and the points difference and the fact that the lead is going to swing one way and the other, isn't it, over the, over the coming weeks? And I'm assuming that Liverpool fans are following City games almost as closely as uh, their own matches at the minute. But it did strike me that like, if you're waiting on, the, like, and it'll get tighter and tighter as the weeks go on, but you're waiting on the likes of Brighton, Watford, Leeds to do you a favour is a short path to going grey quickly. Quite painful, isn't it? But Liverpool fans have been here before and, you know, City fans will be in the same boat wondering whether, you know, United could have done anything. It'll be Everton at the weekend and Newcastle, Tottenham and teams like that in the weeks to come. So, you know, both sets of fans and even managers and players will have, you know, their eyes on each other's fixtures. But it is about Liverpool just winning their games and, you know, hoping and, I guess, praying for something to happen with Man City for them to slip up in one of the games just a draw as I said for either team would you know probably render the the race over so you know it's it's crucial Liverpool keep on winning but I do sort of look at both sets of fixtures and think you know probably at some point they're going to drop points either team but you know it hasn't happened just yet they, they obviously drop points against each other but that felt like you know Liverpool got out alive there and you know it sort of spared them on going into Wembley uh, the next weekend and that, that performance was brilliant and the performance against United was so it feels like there's a real momentum with Liverpool at the minute You mentioned there a moment ago Thiago's showboating kind of taking the piss out of Manchester United the other night and it does feel that he's kind of taken the Anfield crowd to a whole other level again that there is this magician in midfield when he's on the ball that is really exciting the fans to a level that maybe any of the other midfielders over the last couple of years just haven't been capable of doing as effective as they have been. Yeah, I think this is Klopp's plan all along. He's always been looking to find, you know, those marginal gains and also players who he thinks will take this Liverpool team to a new level. And I think Thiago was almost that missing piece that Liverpool fans didn't really know that was missing. And, you know, as soon as he's he's come in, he's had a difficult first season. He obviously gets an injury, which, which keeps him out for a long time and disrupts it. There's no fans in the ground for most of the season. But this season, you know, he's really taken to being a Liverpool player and the fans have really taken to him. I think it's 14 league starts without defeat when he when he starts. So, you know, you can tell the kind of impact that he's having on this Liverpool team. But just to watch him play is a joy. Like, I've, I've never watched a player like that before. And for Liverpool fans to be getting to watch him week in, week out is just, I mean, mesmerising. There's some passes he makes when I'm like, right, I'm going to keep my eye on him now. I'm going to try and watch where he's going to pass the ball. And then he's still surprises you you know he's like a snooker player like a, a few shots ahead every with every pass and yeah he's just incredible to watch and I do feel like he's all, all, almost raises the level of the players around him because his passes almost make them have to sort of you know 
deal with them almost. Sometimes he passes the ball to people and it looks uncomfortable how he's done it, but you know, he's managed to scoop a ball across or over and players just have to deal with it. That he's almost constantly raising the level of those around him and he brings that real winning mentality with him. You can tell he's a winner and he wants to win and he's the type of player that will be really crucial in the coming weeks for Liverpool. Snooker player aspect is having read your piece during the week, it absolutely nails it. Uh, almost raising his own level as well, Quiva to a degree. Is that fair enough to say that he's he's never been as on it as he is at the minute? Who's that? Sorry, Thiago. Yeah, I don't think he's performed like this for Liverpool before. He's just come into that rich sort of vein of form at the minute. Um, you know, playing, not being able to play at Wembley against Chelsea was. Um, you know, upsetting for him because he was he was starting in that League Cup final and there was tears because he hurt himself in the warm up. I mean, he got to show what he's all about at Wembley against Man City, and will you know continue to show Liverpool fans what he's all about. But like I said, he just raises the level watching him. It just takes this Liverpool team to a new level, and you know, I've been saying for a while now this team. I thought it was the best team best Liverpool team ever a couple of years ago but it's almost even better now so it's just you know I think Liverpool fans are enjoying this journey certainly There was so much around the Salah deal whether it would get sorted or whether it wouldn't and then there was some indications a couple of weeks ago that it would all get ironed out and then as fortune would have it uh, Luis Diaz um, doesn't quite arrive on the scene but certainly makes his presence felt in a way that you almost felt that if Liverpool were to lose Salah that it would be less of a blow given the emergence of Jota in the way that he's been there and now the the emergence of, of this guy um, and, and look at I guess the ultimate outcome after all of that is that Salah gets tied down and they just have to keep four or five world class players happy in the team week in week out yeah, it's a difficult job Jürgen Klopp's got, isn't it? But I think you know the addition of uh, Luis Diaz has really taken Liverpool to another level as well. He's just brought energy and excitement and fun. Every time you watch him on the ball, he's just you know like a kid in the playground. He just wants to run with it and have fun. And he's he's brought a new energy to Liverpool that they probably needed. You know, halfway through the season, he's been just incredible. And you know, I think he's been a real um, signing for Liverpool and will continue to be. So he's you know, almost one for now, but also one for the future as well, as you mentioned there with Salah and Mane, you know, both uh, turning 30 and, you know, going into the last years of the contract. So it's it's difficult sort of for fans to even, you know, think about Salah or Mane not being Liverpool players. As, you know, what they've given to the club has been just outstanding and, you know, they'll go down in, in club history. But Liverpool fans aren't ready for that yet. They, you know, they want more from these players and that's the hope that they can, you know, get them committed to contracts. And you mentioned Diogo Jota as well. The thing with Liverpool, it feels like, you know, even when they're building for now, they almost building for the future. They found a player like him who's going to, you know, dominate you would imagine for years to come. So they're always, you know, looking for those edges now, but also for, you know, the seasons to come, which I think they never did for such a long time. So I think that bodes well that, you know, the, the good times might just keep on rolling for Liverpool. And the good times for Liverpool is all that Liverpool fans will need. But in the context of this season, seeing Manchester United struggle, seeing Everton in relegation trouble, if we're being honest here, that makes the season all the better for a Liverpool fan, I suspect. Yeah, Liverpool fans probably, but I mean, 
they're just having such a good time on their own. They don't really, that's the thing with Liverpool fans. I think they've always just enjoyed what their team are doing and haven't looked sideways too much. You know, they'll be looking up at, at that one point and chasing Man City down. That's the, the main focus for everyone. And I think, you know, to do something like a quadruple perhaps would be, you know, it's never been done before. It would leave just, I mean, it would be, imagine the parades for that. It would be incredible. So the Liverpool fans have always, I think, been focused on Liverpool and, um, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be a tough game against Everton with them battling it out. Obviously, Burnley getting through, picking up three points against Southampton last night. So, you know, I think they'll probably get more of a fight out of Everton than they perhaps did uh, against United in the week. Mm. A fight might not be enough, of course. There's a big gulf in quality there. Just before we get into the bones of that, are Everton going down? Do you think? Pardon, sorry. Are Everton going down? Do you think? No, I think they. I think they'll manage to to do it and and stay up. I felt like there was a bit of momentum there. Obviously, with Charleston scores a late goal, you know, points like that can just be uh, defining for a team. And yeah, I, I don't think I'd like to see them go personally. You know, my brother's an Evertonian, and you know, most families on Merseyside are you know split down the middle, red and blue. As much as there's banter between the two sets of fans, it'd be pretty weird not having a Merseyside derby to look forward to uh, a couple of times a season. The, the five point is an interesting one because it was one of the biggest criticisms obviously of United during the week that whatever but the lack of quality there was seemed to be little fight there and you assume as you say that Everton have loads of it but the golf in class Quiva I'm assuming means that at some point or another Liverpool get to stretch the legs a bit about this like the result of it is surely not in doubt Yeah I mean every game I think Liverpool fans are approaching it with sort of nervous energy because it's just you know every game is crucial at the minute but like they did that with the United game and then I mean, within 10 minutes, you kind of knew where it was ending up. So I feel like the, the first 10 minutes almost set the tone for the Liverpool games at the moment. That happened at Wembley. You know, you knew as soon as the first goal went in, that was it. Like, Liverpool were going to be winning that game. Even, you know, the City come back with, with two goals in the second half. There was always that feeling that you know, Liverpool would ride that storm and, and get through. Because sometimes there's just a feeling with them. And I think you'll, you'll see that on Sunday uh, straight away. And then... You know, Real will will uh, come to Anfield, and you know Liverpool have the chance to put themselves in into a, a final of the Champions League, which is you know the third one on the Jurgen Klopp is just I mean an incredible thought, isn't it? So yeah, just so much to look forward to. Obviously, with a FA Cup final in place as well, and Liverpool have touched really lucky with injuries in the past few months. You know, the squad's been pretty much fully fit, which you know they didn't have last season. So the injury gods are sort of looking down on them. I think so far. What's interesting at the moment as well is that there's been a real trend over the course of the season of of using Liverpool as like the barometer of how to, or maybe even a blueprint of how to actually make a football club good again. It feels like that theme has been there around Arsenal over the last couple of seasons. Manchester United very much tapping into it now. Ranić himself said there's a six-year gulf between ourselves and Liverpool as if, you know, time and patience are the number one ingredient required to take a club to Liverpool's level at the moment. But from having covered them over the last couple of years, Quiva, I, I presume there's a, there's a hell of a lot more to it than that. There has been like huge success in the transfer market, huge success in recruitment, obviously the biggest success of all in getting Jurgen Klopp into the club. Yes, there's been a lot of patience involved with Liverpool, but there's also been a hell of a lot of good decision-making that's taken place that other clubs aren't necessarily just, they don't have a God-given right to have themselves. Yeah, I think Liverpool won the lottery with Jurgen Klopp, to be honest. You know, I think his approach to, to this football club has been just, I mean, 
incredible, really, when you look at the, the kind of marginal gains he's looked for in every way on the pitch and then off the pitch as well. Like you mentioned, the recruitment has been phenomenal, um, you know, selling Coutinho and bringing in Van Dijk and then Alisson, you know, always bringing in the right players and players like Andy Robertson, who's, you know, been just one of the first names on the team sheet for such a long time now, just... You know, bringing those players together, Salah, Mane, you know, you could go through the entire team, pretty much most of them are Jürgen Klopp players. And I think, you know, the job he's done, the job Michael Edwards obviously has done and, the, the you know, those who work behind the scenes on recruitment and just, you know, coaching every sort of part of the club just feels like it's all clicking into place. And like you mentioned, you know, United might be a few years away from that as Liverpool, you know, went 30 years without a title. You know, they had good times during you know, those 30 years, but they weren't always good. And, you know, the one thing that got away was the league title. So, yeah, I think Klopp has almost rebuilt Liverpool. Um, and, yeah, fans are just made up with that. I think, you know, talk about Salah and Mane and, you know, other players perhaps like leaving in the coming years, but it's Jürgen Klopp as well that Liverpool fans want to stick around because obviously his contract's still 2024. They want him to, to stay forever, I think, because... You know, he has brought the, the good times back to Liverpool and just in his approach to um, being a manager. He rotated out loads of regulars, obviously, for the Benfica game um, and they had that cushion from the first leg or that comfort almost. Is that a gamble? And I use that word advisedly, given that their B team is is, uh, is pretty good. Is that a gamble that he's unlikely, do you think, to take again? Um, like that, it, that he's almost happy that that version of that team that played Benfica can do with Everton and keep all the rest or most of the rest fresh for Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he rests and rotates players because that's been something Liverpool have done for such a long time. I think, you know, Manchester City had to do it after playing Atletico Madrid. So at Wembley, you know, they rested a few key players and I think that really did show. Uh, but, you know, Guardiola and Klopp have been brilliant at it and you, you have to do that with the amount of games. Liverpool might end up playing every game this season, which is incredible. You know, if they get to the Champions League final, I think it would be about 63 games. So, you know, not every player can play every minute, although Andy Robertson will try to do that. You know, you have to bring them out and bring players like Costas Simakas in, who's been, you know, a real find for Liverpool because he's you know brought that same level of quality Robertson brings to the left. And, you know, I think it's like Canate and Matip, how... You know, Klopp's been able to to rotate them, how he's brought in Joe Gomez, obviously, who's, you know, sort of now fourth choice for centre-back at the minute after his injury, struggled to sort of regain that. But, you know, he's coming in at right-back every now and then for Trent and Alexander-Arnold. So I think, you know, the way um, Klopp has approached it in terms of, you know, wouldn't shock anyone if Thiago, Thiago for example, gets a rest against Everton and then plays against Villarreal, you know, um, I think resting and rotating these players has been key and fundamental to you know where Liverpool have been able to to get to and you know their pending success this season. And just finally, before we let you go, you mentioned earlier on the uh, Liverpool winning the lottery when they got Jurgen Klopp. Do you think United have hit the jackpot now as well, or what's your sense of the impact that Eric Ten Hag is going to have? I mean, reading his quote yesterday, you know, he sounds like he, he's up for the rebuild, isn't he? So. You know, watching his Ajax teams. Ajax teams are always pretty much fun to watch, and you know they they've all, I think they've got such a long sort of history of youth players bringing in youth players. I think they've got like a really crazy streak of like there's been a youth player, sort of an academy player in the team for like years and years. 
um, for pretty much every game. So, you know, they've got that philosophy there. I think he'll bring that over and really work with the younger players and, you know, help bring them through, but also sort of do what Jürgen Klopp did and, you know, getting rid of the the players that, that don't fit, you know, and and moving them on to, to other other clubs and you know that takes that can take two three seasons if not more to sort of do that it won't happen over the summer for Manchester United but I guess he you know, needs to have that support that he'll be able to do that bringing the players that that he sees you know it is easier said than done and it will take a time to sort of happen but I think you know you can see from the excitement of United fans that they're pretty excited about this new direction after you know it's so difficult to to replace someone like uh, Alex Ferguson and they've sort of, you know, brought in plenty of managing in, in between them. But, you know, Liverpool might eventually be in that sort of boat after Jürgen Klopp, post-Jürgen Klopp either at Liverpool, could be could be similar given the the um, success he's had at Liverpool. So it'll be, it's always difficult replacing them, you know, a, a massive sort of figure like that. So, you know, United might just get it right with this one. Yeah. Uh, all right, Quiva. Thanks, million. Enjoy the football the weekend. Thank you, Quiva Neil from the Athletic. There, you can check out all of her stuff. Uh, there was a deep dive into that uh, Tiago experience. Is that the way it's worded from uh, the United game during the week and how good he was? And um, Quiva was paying close attention to his movement. The snooker player analogy is absolutely bang on. Particularly if you look at some of the graphics from the piece as well. And uh, I just assume they get it done against everything this weekend. John has been in contact. More to you, John. He said enjoyed OTBAM's short spike in League of Ireland coverage. Hope it returns. Bowls Rovers tonight deserve some kind of mention in your sport rapper does the fact that these games aren't on TV mean they mean that they're invisible uh, not a dig but crowds are clearly up yet it's not landing a blow here at all maybe this is a product of TV and it's just becoming spectator experience I definitely um, am a casual at best League of Ireland fan John I don't mind uh, admitting that to you uh, but I've been watching an awful lot more of it when it's been on the TV of a Friday night um, so that definitely helps no question about it particularly a game the magnitude uh, that you're talking about there and I'm not uh, going to spend my whatever it is seven quid on a League of Ireland pass for it that's just where I'm at and I would definitely watch it if it was on the TV and in terms of our own coverage I would uh, urge you and you seem like a very big League of Ireland fan so you're probably all over this already but League of Ireland late night on Twitter spaces uh, tonight from about 10 o'clock um, Nathan's been off um, for the last feels like about a month um, and so I don't know who's going to be manning the uh, ship tonight or indeed if the ship is going to leave port at all oh, and I'm selling something that I have no idea is actually going to happen but oh. it's typically there on a it's got to be there on a night after like Bowes Rovers surely it's the calling big, out our colleague here. arguably the biggest night of the season so far and uh, the well actually no I was going to say the 16 bus will be hopping tonight it wouldn't necessarily be the 16 bus but uh, one of the one of the buses in that area is going to be is going to be absolutely packed with callers with Johnny Ward in tow no doubt trying to, to opine on that obviously Rover's in a great run of form at the moment and um, if they get the job done tonight they'll at least be still a point behind Derry City at the top of the table um, I still think if like Bowes get the job done, I mean it's they'd be up to eighteen points after that point, five points behind Rovers. You can't really paint this in a way that doesn't make it an exciting fixture, it doesn't make it a massive fixture for both sets of fans. But as you say, the main event is after the event, isn't it? it look at there is there's it's all about that. those those hot takes coming through. Uh, I, I I personally uh, welcome the the chaotic nature of the Dublin bus aspect to. To League of Ireland. That's ah, why it's um, it's a bit of late jeopardy. night, late night, LOI, LOI late night, LOI late night. Um, 
but yeah, it's just clearly just too professional. They've just it's just too slick an operation these days. It's kind of become such a beast that they've uh, well, it's branching ba- out into all sorts of interesting fields. On it's uh, made its GA debut last weekend. Yeah. Uh, number one host Tommy Rooney was in the hot seat. He had Dahi Regan alongside him. Plenty of callers getting involved. I believe other hosts are available and will will become apparent over the coming weeks. Do you get involved? I have you other, have you other asked than, to speak on either and any of those? I have not. Days? I have no. not. And I was interested to see Joe Malloy hit the "I want to get into the action here" button um, during the GA chat last week. That's um, just, but that's just Joe, isn't it? Like it, just it, sitting on Twitter to, hoping for a fight. <laughs> to, loop, <laughs> to loop it back to our uh, conversation earlier, it had a bit of the uh, RT canteen feel about it. Oh, here's another guest for the Late Late Show that we've, you know, she's a, here's a weather presenter or whatever the case might be. That's what people want to hear, though. Um, no, I haven't hit, I didn't hit the button that time on because I had two, three sleeping kids in the back of the car, so I thought I better not, uh, better not get involved. But no, it's a good. It's a good listen. I don't know what's going to happen. No, they'll never be in competition because the GA pieces on a Sunday night, and the League of Ireland, as we said, is definitely happening tonight. We're uh, we're certain of that. A reminder of our competition: it's twenty five to nine uh, to celebrate the end of the race season at Punchestown Festival. And with thanks to Close Brothers, we have a couple of pairs of tickets, two pairs of tickets to give away to next week's festival. Uh, we gave away a pair yesterday, another pair this morning, and then one lucky winner of those four is going to w- go into the hat this morning to have their prize upgraded to include lunch for two and B and B at the Louis. Fitzgerald Hotel we're going to give you coach transfers to and from the race course as well so to be in with the chance just tell us who's this mystery voice you might as well be honest no point in taking the plaudits it wasn't my idea <laughs> a legendary Irish jockey you might as well be honest no point in taking the plaudits it wasn't my idea <laughs> lash us in your guests to 87 180 on whatsapp uh, or you can comment uh, wherever it is that you're watching us this morning uh, tweet your answer indeed add off the ball so as I said we'll bring you those uh, this morning's winners a little bit later on and then the overall winner as well uh, a little bit later in the morning right now time for the papers there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer what do you mean a spoofer? he's a bullshit ah no I'm a, come on don't, don't be no I'm not yes. no Right, before we get stuck into what's happening on the uh, back pages and indeed on otsports.com this morning on just in the last few moments some breaking news. There's been a bit of a breakthrough in the Rinnet or Binnet saga. It looks like the former of those two options is going to be what happens. It will not be binned. It will be rinned. And uh, that is pending the approval of the Munster Executive. Kerry County Board have intervened just like they did before the Tyrone game oh, last year. Oh, they're such giving people. Uh, with a statement that says the executive of the Kerry County Board following consultation with the football team and the management and subject to the approval of Munster Council has decided to accede to a request from the Cork County Board to set aside for one year only the home and away arrangement between Fitzgerald Stadium and Parky Cueve to allow this year's game to be taken place at Parky Rin. So they said the agreement would recommence next year where Fitzgerald Stadium would host a Kerry Cork game and then the venue for Cork's home game would be Parky Cueve thereafter. Kerry County Board acknowledges the close relationship that exists between both boards, the importance of protecting the integrity of the Munster Senior Football Championship and a priority now for the team management and players to prepare for the game without further distraction. And he says, or they say I should say, it is now a matter for the Competitions Control Committee of the Munster Council to confirm the venue for this game. 
and Kerry County Board won't be making any further comments. So the ball is firmly in Munster Council's court at this point, but for them to go against Kerry and Cork at this point yeah. would be an extraordinary step. So I think that uh, 17th of May, it is no sorry, 7th of May, you can pencil it in now. Days. Uh, 16 days. It is going to be Kerry against Cork and Parky Rin. Cork obviously feel they have a very good chance of winning this game, otherwise they wouldn't have dug the heels in so far. They're definitely of not, we're not of the mind whatsoever to, you know, kick this can down the road and try and get a couple of back-to-back home games in the hope that they might have a better chance of beating Kerry down the line. They feel they have as good a chance of beating Kerry this year as they do next year or the year after and that's why they dug their heels in and fair play to them and Kerry have gone along with it, which was the right decision on their part, I feel, as well, just to try and take the drama out of it. I know that they're in, uh, like they've got a, uh, they're in camp this weekend, put it that way. They've gone fully professional athletes this weekend. Kerry, they're they're starting a couple of days of a of a camp in Killarney. They're not going anywhere uh, exotic, um, and like I in- presume that they want to be having those tactical conversations. And they're going to be having tactical conversations tonight uh, without this sort of cloud hanging over them. Well, I presume the planning for both sides is just carrying on as as yeah. it normally should. Um, and you're saying like they're right to dig in. Was it not a bit of a sign of weakness that they were saying like? We have to play here, or otherwise we really don't fancy ourselves winning somewhere else. I, I always felt, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, it was a bit of a weird one to say to to throw your toys entirely out of the pram over. No? I, well, I, I don't th- I don't think it's a sign of weakness. I don't think that was a sign of weakness from Cork at all. I think it's actually the opposite. I think that if you're I know Keith Rickens obviously stepped away unfortunately over the last little while, yeah. but if you're involved in the, in the management team. You're fighting tooth and nail for your players. You don't want to give every, any sort of inch. Like it may just be symbolic, but they don't want to, s- to be seen to show their players that they feel they don't have a great chance of winning this game. You know that the, the idea of you know that that idea that they could have possibly had a better chance of winning next year or the year after if maybe some of those Cork under twenties come through better over the next couple of years. I think it's a sign of strength actually that they dug the heels in. And I mean, from the management and from the players' point of view, it's not ideal that there was a clash of events in Parky Cueve. If they had their time back, maybe something different would have happened and, and they would have made that weekend clear. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a, a great situation for anybody involved, especially not for the Cork management and players. I think the right decision has, has been arrived at, assuming that... But they could have just... Once, I mean, this felt, it felt like... It, it, felt like but what could Cork it, it, probably, it probably is the right decision, but what could Cork do? Well, when I there mean, was, when I there was a clash, was, yeah, I mean, they were like, let's play this Parky Rin. Yeah. And Munster Council said, no, we want to have a bigger capacity for, for this. And I thought yeah. that was fair enough. I mean, I know I can they see get why. a stick, but I thought I, I can see why. But look, it's going to be—it's going to be really—it's going to be a novel occasion between Kerry and Cork. It's going to be a sellout in Parky Inn. Nobody knows what the attendance is going to be. be. Ele- could, what eleven thousand? It could be fourteen thousand. I'd seen somewhere that it could be less, but I presume it's definitely going to be eleven at least. And like that's going to be—that's going to be a great atmosphere for a game between these two counties. They would have—they would have got substantially more. I really believe that in Killarney because of the fact that uh, it's Killarney and it's a Saturday night but it doesn't matter it's Cork's home game and they're, they want to play it in one of their home stadiums and good luck to them um, Right that is the breaking news the game's going to be uh, pending Munster Council ratification the game's going to be in Parky Ring and uh, that's where all roads lead now on you'll be at it obviously I will 100% in the diary should be a cracker Um John has been back in touch and he says thanks for reading the comment fair comment this was in relation to the League of Ireland for not paying the 7 euro for casual follower I feel that that is a big problem also late night LOI is terrific LOI late night um, hello from Portland Oregon says R. Murray who's burning the midnight hello. literally burning the midnight oil I've googled it it's 20 to 1 in the morning so good morning to you R. Murray 
Um, and uh, Dara was back in touch as well on YouTube uh, just in relation to his comment about Munster not scoring a try against Leinster since 2018. He's clarified. He's brought great clarification to the proceedings. Uh, he was talking about the Heineken, Qu- Heineken Cup. Yeah, the other stat is better though and funnier. It's it's an almost an irrelevant stat. If it's the Heineken Cup. No, nobody will. Ch- if you if you uh, comment with a stat convincingly, nobody's going to double check it. Head along to talktobesports.com uh, this morning where you'll find out all the best uh, stories up there with all the uh, breaking news. The um, story about uh, Kerry will be up there uh, very shortly. Eric Den Hag um, must establish himself early and then show patience. Uh, the words of John Giles from last night's show. The brief is also live up there as well. I should let you know about uh, it's talking about a big win, obviously, for Burnley last night, that relegation battle. Kyle Hayes, hamstring injury. He's out for Limerick this weekend and the Offaly under 20s uh, being the dethroned. Uh, by Kildare last night as well as the other big story there Uh, and on the papers after that the Irish Examiner there's lots of good stuff there particularly if you're uh, looking ahead to the GEA Championship this uh, weekend Uh, Red Adair new Manchester United boss Ten Hag ready for uh, personalities and problems and also uh, Derek McGrath inside about why Waterford must seize the first chapter of a potential trilogy uh, ahead of this weekend's action Uh, the Irish Daily Mail Eric Ten Hagel. There's lots of uh, plays on the word 10 this morning. New United boss in £9 million a year deal until 2025. And he wants Steve McLaren in his backroom team. But uh, Old Trafford Chiefs aren't convinced. You just feel as if he's in like an exceptionally strong position to negotiate. There's been a lot of chat over the last couple of days about whether he was going to be head coach or manager. And he was insisting he's going to be manager. And he's absolutely right. Like I think there's never been, ever been a manager in a better position to be able, and including the great man in that, um, be able to negotiate his T's and C's. United are at an absolute low ebb, and they are desperate to get this guy. He was so impressive, apparently, in the uh, interview process that uh, they were desperate to get him. I do think that leaves you in a position to be able to say, I'm coming in, but here's what I'm coming in as. Yeah, like, I, I just, my optimism on that front has just been checked a little bit by everything that's happened in the past. It does seem... Uh, like when you read about the the inside story of the interview process and what Manchester United are prepared to offer, it does seem like they've got a very impressive candidate. But yeah. sometimes it feels that the most impressive candidate is hamstrung by the environment in which they're in at Manchester United. So mm. I, I'm just cautious to kind of jump into saying that this is a good appointment for Manchester United. That's not to say that Man- Ten Hag isn't an outstanding manager and his track record isn't outstanding. It's just that can you be a good manager at Manchester United is is the question that I would have. It is a fair, very fair question. Our master O'Neill was targeted, uh, says Steve McDonnell as well. That's Michael Clifford writing there in a story that's picked up across the board that uh, the Ulster players are being targeted unfairly as uh, the suspensions uh, come in there. The Irish Times this morning is also a good place for your uh, best of GA ahead of the weekend, including the uh, Joe Canning column here that takes the main splash in the front of it and uh, including a nice Atlantic dot on here to kick things off where he talks about a few weeks ago working in the bar one of the Sundays during the league a few of the lads were in and they were talking about how this um, team was really going for the league and how that team uh, was taking it handy and all this stuff Limerick aren't the same as uh, after losing so many matches etc after a while I stopped them and I asked a question tell me this who won the league last year blank fla- faces all round they hadn't a clue I had to break it in that goal I shared it with Kilkenny yeah. Fair point. Yeah, I know it is. But it's all you got to go on. 
you're going to go on it. It is like there there have obviously been a, a few exceptions, but I, I think that uh, really compared to two sports, in particular football and, and hurling, that the national hurling league really has developed in something of a, a phony war of the last little while. Like even when you look at like I suppose Limerick did win the league in in 2020, uh, but before that they won it in 2019. That was of course the year where they didn't end up winning the All Ireland. Like they didn't win the league in 2018, they didn't win the league last year, and they won the All Irelands in both of those years. So there, there there isn't even correlations that you can really find in in the modern game between league success and championship. Success. Uh, a couple of quick mentions some of the other papers before we move on to our p- quick picks um, Hamstring Wall means Treaty face uh, Waterford without Kyle Hayes uh, Nathan Collins on target to boost survival hopes this was the goal of Burnley beating Southampton last night Jamie Redknapp comparing him to Alan Shearer in his technique on getting up and not, not to the back of the net I mean he was basically climbing all over your man I don't know how it wasn't a free out but uh, if that's the comparison Alan Shearer for Nathan Collins Where's that? We'll take that all day long. Uh, absolutely, he's scored a couple of nice goals now over the the last little while. He, like the the options that that Stephen Kenny has in that position, it's like just fantastic depth that he has when everybody's fit. Obviously, Omobamadeli and O'Shea have had their injury troubles this season, but uh, themselves and and Collins, they kind of paint a, a pretty optimistic future over the next. Five, I was going to say five to ten years. Let's ah, say five to seven. Two years. to three years. Maybe, but uh, Ten Hag wins first battle as board relent over McLaren. Uh, reports James Ducker there from the Irish Independent via the Telegraph. Uh, the Irish Sun this morning double Dutch. Eric unveiled and he wants uh, Steve McLaren as number two. It was the Sun who went with Steve. Their new boss. I'll bring back success. The fans deserve. I really hope he's not saying that. That it's that would be exactly what United fans I think don't want Eric Ten Hag saying like being bullish about that so given where they're at at the minute they just want somebody to come in with a strategic view to say I've got a strategic view bear with me not like I'm going to bring back the glory days they've had, they've had enough of that mm-hmm. uh, Temple of Boom that's probably the tab of the morning really isn't it from the Irish Daily Star this morning new United yeah. Supreme of Oz to bring back the good times Reddit there was good as well Reddit there was pretty good the uh, Times, meanwhile, uh, Ten Hag gets 120 million budget to save United and Maguire gets bomb threat is a story from Ian Whittle here that's picked up in a couple of the um, UK back pages as well that his Cheshire home in the uh, home of himself and his fiancée and his couple of kids uh, was the target of a bomb threat in the last couple of days, which is remarkable for all the wrong reasons, clearly. So that's what's happened across the back pages for you this morning. That is the newspapers. Somebody's critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. It is almost uh, 10 to 9. You're watching OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And it's time for the first, I think, of our Championship Quick Picks. Will and Ashling, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? Uh, Good. Will Galway bet Mayo is the first question we have to ask ourselves this morning. So let's see which way we've all gone on this one. It's Mayo across the board. Um, I mean, look at is there is there a case to be made on for Galway here? Yes, there definitely is, is a case it? to be made for Galway. The, well, the, the case is that they've played each other the last couple of years in Championship, and it's been very close. Obviously, they don't have home advantage this time, which is uh, something I suspect is going to be a significant part in all our picks at the moment, going with the home team. Um, but I, I think like they've got to a Division Two final. Yes, they were beaten, but by Ross Common 
Like this is a team that has given Mayo trouble over the last little while. To suggest that this is one-way traffic, even though we've all gone for Mayo, I think would be a little bit ridiculous. There are, there are massive questions about Mayo after the league final. I accept that not many of them are, will uh, prevail in championship, but Mayo have shown when there is a backdoor option in championship, they like to go yeah. the circuitous route. So I'm not confident. I'm not fully confident in this pick whatsoever, but I still do think that Mayo will edge it. Can I ask Ashley about that? The whole post the league final, the carry seeds of hope slash doubt depending on your viewpoint uh, like it's one thing for a team looking at that the likes of Galway thinking well we can overrun their midfield like that and then an entirely different thing being able to do it yeah well this is it but even even Galway in their league final I don't know if they were fully showing their full hand like I've interviewed a few times out to Porrick Joyce after the games and he finds it hard to hold back his emotions of a loss or, and rightly so, you know, it's a tough thing to do. But he wasn't too upset after that game and I feel like it was all to look to this game against Mayo. He's in his third season. He's never bet Mayo. You know, that must really hurt and he'd want to get one over them. So I do agree with Owen that it's 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 definitely going to be seriously close. It's always tough and close with them, but I just think Mayo have that bit more we're not sure what way they're going to line out. You know, the, their injury concerns is probably a big one. Oshin Mullen, Paddy Jerk and Dermot O'Connor, you know, that's why they probably were overran in, in that middle third, I think, against Kerry because they didn't have those players really in there that you'd expect to, to probably change the game a little bit for Mayo. Now, they've had the likes of Killian O'Connor back, James Carr, he was a, a big positive as well. So I do think they're going to have too much, but it's definitely going to be very close. Like, looking at Galway as well, the Paul Conroy in midfield, he was exceptional against Roscommon. I think he scored six points um, from play. And, you know, they're really exciting, Damian Comer, and then we've seen Shane Walsh coming back as well. So we haven't seen the best either team yet. I know we're only... Their, their first games of championship we, we'll start to know a little bit more but uh, I think the Mayo will edge it by about three or four Do you remember last year when I was running away with winning this thing no. and halfway through it we changed it <laughs> so we introduced the uh, scoring aspect which now has suddenly just disappeared off the radar entirely No we, we just did that because we, I think yeah, we, we expected Dublin to go seven in a row or something and it was like but there's no point predicting these games but actually the smarter thing to do would just be to pick a selection of games rather than all of them which is what we've done this year but uh, it took a bigger brand in mind to come up with that one um, I mean I was just getting at what, what we kind of feel the, the score I feel there will be a little bit of daylight between them Will are you, are you feeling it'll be tight? In Mayo Galway, yeah, yeah I, I think it will be tight. Like it's a weird one as well when we talk about home advantage because Mayo spent the spring playing away from Mikhail Park, so you kind of wonder. It's been a while since they've actually even played a game there, and like there's been some weird results between Galway and Mayo. Remember last year when Galway were effectively in a riot position when they played against Mayo, and then it got turned around when they met in Championship. And Mayo have generally kind of had just a little bit more than Galway when it comes to recent Championship meetings. But yes, like both of them will just want to forget their trip to Crow Park for League Final Day for different reasons in that Galway were unable to finish the job against their neighbours Roscommon in the Division 2 final. I wouldn't read too much into the game against the Rossies the week before where you know, Galway had already completed the job with their win against Derry and already been promoted. So, And then you look at Mayo who were you know quite comfortably beaten by Kerry in the League Final but generally had a pretty decent league campaign out of that so it's actually quite hard to read form even though these league games were only a few weeks ago mm. but yeah I, I don't actually expect daylight here what kind of daylight are you talking about Adrian? Well like five or six points I think it'll be tighter than that Three or four And is that is, is, is it because you're confident in Mayo or is it because you've got no confidence in Galway? The former Okay well, you're, you're expecting them to, to race through this yeah, I, I look at there, there, we we often talk about when you take a step back and think about like Galway 
um, are are they a coming team in terms of potential contenders for the All Ireland? I'm not so sure about that, but they're certainly not in the conversation about it in the way that Mayo are. So, like, if they're serious about what they're about, I think that, like, I mentioned Ashling earlier on about like the seeds of doubt, maybe that the league final cast into Mayo uh, minds. They probably like they're not. Whoa, Hank the Tank, All right, fan. Wow, no, not happy. No, no, <laughs> not having it. Um, I like that they brush those aside pretty quickly, and um, yeah, they, they are they are serious contenders for the All Ireland. So this can't be an issue for them. And if they're not beating the likes of Galway by five, by five or six points, which is no disrespect, I can tell oh, by the way you're looking at me, to me. It's not a disrespect to Galway, but if you are, if you are expecting yourself to be in the conversation with the Ireland, then that's what it's got to be. Poor choice. Just get that on an iPad and stick it up in the dressing room wall <laughs> on loop. Um, Will mentioned uh, home advantage earlier on Ashling, and so we moved to Donegal Armagh and that certainly swung my uh, thought process around the outcome of this one let's see which way everybody was going Donegal Armagh we've got Donegal across the board apart from Will O'Callaghan who is uh, who's pumping for Armagh here tight call I went with home advantage it was certainly muddied by the uh, suspensions getting cleared did that swing you the other way Will or were you always in an Armagh no, it wasn't. Was always in their mind. I think this is a game that could well have been won at the Central Appeals Committee during the week. Like four key players are now available for Armagh. Donegal must be really ruining the decision not to just appeal because yeah. it seems in the GA the best thing to do is appeal, appeal, and appeal again. And eventually, if it goes to the DRA, you've got a chance that you might get off. Like it was intriguing how the way this melee has been treated, particularly how Reid O'Neill ended up being effectively cited as opposed to being in the referee's report and then all four of them get off in the end and that's a huge boost for Armagh going into this game. I appreciate it is very difficult to go to Bally Buffet and I was half thinking that some of you guys were going to go for Donegal. I didn't think it would be all Donegal. I thought we'd be split on this but I just think that's a massive boost for Armagh on Championship Week to have these players back. Armagh were very good for the best part during the league. Donegal were decent as well. Don't get me wrong. We're talking about two Division 1 teams meeting in an Ulster Championship game here. There's definitely going to be no blowout where there's five or six points in this game but I actually do fancy Kieran McGinney's side to go and get a result this weekend. You just can't trust Donegal, says Shane, on YouTube. We shall, we shall see. I, I don't know, though. Can, like, you can trust them in games against Armagh recently in the Championship. Like, I mean, the record against them is good because Armagh's Championship record has been so bad over the last little while. Last year was the first time that Armagh started to show signs of life in the Ulster Championship. And like, I'd agree with Will, there was like, some great glimpses in the league, but those glimpses were at the, the start of the league. I think their form is front-loaded here a little bit. You can't read too much into it, as we've established with Mayo Galway there, when it comes to form. But I still think, if you're looking at where the arcs are of both of these teams, Donegal, the return of Michael Murphy, or we're on the uptick at the end of the league, Armagh may be on the downward. And that's what gives me confidence in, in, in picking Donegal this weekend. As I say, they met two years ago. Donegal hammered them in the championship. Armagh have come a long way since then. But I, I just think that this sort of... There's a bit more of a war horse about Donegal in Championship. Yes, they've underwhelmed when it's mattered most. They haven't got back to that semi-final. But I, I, I think they'll just about edge it. Ashling. Yeah, jeez, oh, I said Armagh up until late yesterday and I changed my mind and I'm still not 100% sure. I definitely think that Armagh could to go to Bally Buffet and put on a, a massive performance and get a win. And when we're talking about form, about Tony Gall, I just haven't seen their form. I haven't seen anything even this year in the league that would 
convince me, even though I picked them here, but uh, nothing that would convince me that they're, you know, where they should be. Because as Owen said, they've constantly underwhelmed in these big games. Look, few things have gone against them. The likes of Michael Murphy last year was sent off. We injuries. There's there's always something, to be honest. When we see Armagh and you look at their form, they're up and coming, they're exciting. The brand of football is brilliant to see. You know, the, the long diagonal balls are playing inside. Their forwards are a joy when they get on the end of them. So I'm talking myself out of my own prediction <laughs> here. But uh, yeah, I just think Bally Buffet is a tough place to go. We've seen the, the mind games with the last game when they when they played and they went to O'Donnell Park, all those things. I think Armagh will be raring to go. Kieran McGinney will want to get this win more than anything after everything that's happened. But yeah, I just think that I think that Donegal, this might be the big win for Donegal to, to kick them off this year, as you said, with, with Michael Murphy back in as well. So um, yeah, I, I went with them, but just about, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw or Armagh do it. But yeah, I did go with Donegal. Okay, let's move to the hurling. Wexford Dublin first up. We'll just take our predictions here and we'll move on to the next one after that. It's Wexford across the board. Uh, Limerick Waterford. It's going to be Limerick across the board, and of course it is. It's like I certainly feel it's, and I see obviously the reports coming through last night that Kyle, Kyle Hayes is out, uh, will. But like it's impossible to back against Limerick even with that team news. Yeah, I mean this is the first time Kyle Hayes is going to miss a championship game under John Kiley. It goes back across twenty-seven matches now that he hasn't missed, and when he went off feeling his hamstring against Cork last week, you were wondering how serious it was. It's being reported as a strain. So he'll probably be back for the end of the Munster Championship campaign with Limerick. There was no way they were going to risk him, uh, given that they still have a couple of games to play after this game against Waterford. But this one's intriguing because potentially, as Derek McGrath has written in the Irish Examiner this morning, this could be the first of three meetings. We spoke about, you know, Kerry and Mayo could meet three times this year after they met in the league final. This could well be big game in the round robin, a Munster Championship final and the All-Ireland final, depending on whether the teams can sweep up the rest of their results in Munster. It's a pity that last weekend one of these two teams didn't suffer a defeat because if they had, it would have added that extra bit of spice and importance to the fixture. I think the loser of this game will still qualify. Like Waterford, we have seen the goal touch that they've been going for. They will need to score goals at the Gaelic rounds if they're going to overturn Limerick. I actually think psychologically it would be really important for Waterford to try and do so because this Limerick team have had their number and particularly have had their number in big games. When we look at the All-Ireland semi-final from last year and the All-Ireland final from the year before uh, they won by 11 points on both occasions so I think there's more importance going into this for Waterford but I expect Limerick given the way that they performed against Cork away from home at Porky Cueve where they look so comfortable and look like the Limerick of old I think Limerick still beat Waterford tomorrow night at the Gaelic grounds but for me across both codes this is game of the weekend The loser at Tip Clare probably uh, may not have the same luxury uh, Will but uh, Tipperary for Owen, Will and Adrian and Ashling, you've booked the trend here. Um, go on. Yeah, I I just seen Claire just in the league. I was at a few of their games and I was just excited about what I've seen. We haven't seen them yet in championships, so it, it's the unknown. But I, I think what I've seen, like they, they, they're a great side. They're maybe the underdogs going in here, which will be a great thing for them. Um, we've seen the likes of Tip last week. Like, you know, they were impressive, but they'll benefit, I suppose, of having that game as well. But uh, for Clare, I just think they've had that extra break. They're probably watching the game last week. Tony Kelly back to his best. Um, yeah, I just think that uh, they could throw up a bit of an upset here. Um, but it, it's a tough one to call as well. And I don't know, Shane O'Donnell, if he's... If he's like, 
we're going to return. I don't know if Will knows more than me on that one. He's been on the sideline the past 12 months. There's talk of him being back as well. So, um, yeah, I just think they didn't lie down against Limerick in the lead. The physicality they showed. So, yeah, I just I just went for them. But, uh, yeah, it would be a big upset, obviously, to, to beat them in their home ground. Back and bulkier than ever, apparently. Shane O'Donnell been uh, working on the frame. He's, uh, he's beefed up during his uh, time on the sidelines, apparently. So, expect that at the weekend. Peter Duggan playing a championship match for the first time in a while. For Clare, like I say, it's interesting. Like I mean, the the league form um, was mixed to say the least. They only beat Offaly, didn't they? When it, when you look at their win count in, in the league, and it does feel that like Clare, if they wanted, they can create this unbelievable siege mentality because it feels that you know uh, Limerick are obviously better than them. Our Cork and Tip also better than them, probably. Clare also have like this factor of James Owens refereeing it after that decision over by the sideline in the Gaelic. Will we see another year. James Owens meme? Oh, and that's uh, the big question uh, that we get. I'd like to think we will, uh, but at the same time, they have arguably the best hurler in the country if not one of the best hurlers in the country and it feels that there's been a massive level of under not a massive level a degree of underachievement from them over the last couple of seasons and I just think that if they want to create some sort of as I say siege mentality and and try and achieve something beyond their capabilities over the next couple of weeks I think it's within their their, their grasp the problem is if they lose this weekend they've got Limerick uh, this is the bigger this is the, the high stakes game of the weekend though like as Will said Waterford Limerick while it is the game of the weekend it's not the highest stakes there's a lot on the line in tip Clare Yeah I, I think I'd agree with you on that one lads I mean Duggan and O'Donnell are obviously back in training I'm not sure if they're going to be able to play this weekend but it's almost a perfect scenario for Clare in a way in that no one's really been talking about Clare because they didn't play in weekend one and they were the outsiders to qualify from Munster anyway so they've been talked down quite a bit coming into championship they will take a bit from the fact that once Tony Kelly came back in they won their game against Offaly which assured them that they were going to be in division one for next year probably should have beaten Limerick at home in the league then they had a little break to just work on everything and they were a team who needed their injured players to be coming back in so it was probably ideal for Brian Owen and the rest of the management team to be able to work with them over the last four or five weeks to target this Tipperary game. They don't have a good record at Semple Stadium. That definitely goes against them. And the reason I've picked Tipperary was because how well Tipperary hurled, particularly for the first 30 minutes away from home against Waterford at Welsh Park last weekend. I really feared for them with the changes that Tipperary have had to make. And some other players really stepped up, the young players that came in to start, that we've been wondering why Liam Sheedy didn't use them for the last couple of seasons. And then you saw the really good performance up front by Mark Kyo. He'll be there to try and cause plenty of problems for Clare on the weekend. I think Tipperary will come out on top and that will give Tipperary a chance to potentially overturn Cork, especially given that Cork have had to give away home advantage for their game against Clare, which would have been a Porky Cueve when it comes to later in the Munster Championship. And maybe Tip will feel that they can get in just ahead of Cork in third place. I still think Limerick and Waterford qualify, but after watching Cork's performance last weekend and the defensive issues they have, both Clare and Tipperary will fancy an outside chance of qualifying now. See you back here next Friday. See you, lads. Good luck. See you then. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. And that is quick picks for this week. Donegal are a better team than Armagh, and they'll show it on Sunday, says Road Warrior. Um, uh, Barbaladza has been in touch from Cape Town. Good morning uh, to you, Barbaladza. And Pwell on um, YouTube says Limerick Waterford, two best teams in hurling, playing in front of 35,000, and very little about it. No more about it. Uh, come on, lads, uh, they say the Munster Championship matches are bringing the best crowd in Irish sport. And Shane's been in touch. Yeah, oh, he's not happy on. He's uh, OTB bias again. No mention of Cavan. Do you know what? It's actually the opposite of OTB bias. We are so confident in Cavan winning this weekend. 
that there is absolutely no mention of it whatsoever because there's no need to preview a team that are going all the way for Sam this year. The the great minds, Shane, is what happens are the great minds of OTBAM gather during the week. They go into um, a conf lab in a secret location and they spend several hours and they're debating and deciding as to which fixture should be um, go before the rigours of quick pick of a Friday morning. And that's what happens, and that's what they've done. You needn't be looking at myself or Owen. We're not the great brains around here. I mean, we are, but you are. But, you know, there are other people that are running the show, and they decide what's going on, and that's what's happened. And they decided Cavan aren't uh, worthy of discussion. The conspiracy room is what we call it. Conspiracy room. There you go. How, how do we further our anti Cavan bias? They're playing Antrim tomorrow, 2 o'clock. It's on BBC, by the way. For anybody who's. It's, it's not even worth discussing, is it, to be fair? Yeah. Yeah. And then McGinley will be in touch. It'll be Cavan across the board there. Oh, yeah. Good luck, Antrim. Uh, actually, on the football pod, a lot of them predicted Antrim. It was not going across the board. Um, in fact, yeah, no, I'm oh, pretty really, sure right? James, didn't James and Paddy both predict Antrim are actually going to win that game. Oh. It is in Corrigan Park, of course, famously the, the other Renator Bennett situation that we've had mm. this spring. Maybe we should have actually previewed that game. Yeah, and go. That would have been a, a must, good idea. Must do better, which was pretty much what I said in all my report cards. <laughs> uh, right, it is five past nine. We are uh, way behind time. Delighted to say we're turning to rugby now, and Alan Quinlan is on the line. Good morning to you, Quinny. Morning, lads. How are you? Good. We had a bit of an agenda stuff to speak about. Then we got sidetracked at the top of the show talking about Mac Hansen and me being impressed with him at the, uh, seeing him twice at the Aviva over the last couple of months, twice for Connacht, being very impressed with him again. He's obviously doing his stuff for Ireland. I'm wondering aloud as to whether he should make the trip at some point south that, uh, maybe a fit with Munster would be a good, uh, a good career move for him. Well, he's good enough to play with any of the provinces, I think. Uh, yeah, he's been brilliant. I've been really impressed with him myself. I think he's, uh, He's not just a good footballer, but an intelligent rugby player as well. And um, he has that ambition to to attack. And someone who, uh, you know, the the if you go and watch him, you're you're excited by what he wants to try and do in a game. And uh, he's done brilliant. He'd be uh, certainly a nice fit. But if you be very careful here, you get get in trouble with all the kind of well I was going to ask you is, is it, are we still I look at they'll, 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 Owen has been stirring them up earlier on one way or the other despite there was no uh, slide coming from my direction but are we still in a position on that point of the best players leaving Connacht um, I don't know I don't know I think it's a crucial um, it's a crucial situation from coming up this year um, if they don't make the playoffs or they don't make Europe um, it probably starts that it probably starts that b- debate again, doesn't it? That um, the possibility of, of players looking outside it, of, of Connacht, um, particularly if they're young players and they've got some some elevation and, and um, attention from from other clubs. But um, I think it's the last thing. It's the last thing that, that Andy Friend or anyone in Connacht would want to hear that players are starting to think that way. But the reality is, you know. Bar 2016, you know, what they did in the, the Pro 14 at the time, which was phenomenal. Um, they've got to be in the mix for competitions and, and, and at the latter stages. And unfortunately, this year is probably going to peter out for them. Um, so you're always going to be vulnerable and open to, to other clubs picking off some of your best players. So, it, you know, if I was a comic player and Leinster came knocking like what happened with Robbie Henshaw or Monster, you're gonna you're gonna think about it, um, but I think they're building something which is really important, and that's that's the draw. I think the atmosphere is really good. Some very good young coaches in there with Andy Friend as well, and um, but I think pre-season is can come quick enough for them. Um, 
I know they'll try and finish in a high and go to South Africa and win their games there. But if they don't make Europe and don't make the playoffs, then it will be it'll end up being a very disappointing season for them. Interim for the Six Nations on Sunday, and it's in England at Welford Road, and the fixture that drives fear, I suppose, into the um, coaches and, and management ahead of the game. The toughest game of the championship, number one team in the world. They're ruthless. They're skillful. It's a bit of a hiding to nothing, isn't it? <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. It's a uh, it's a very difficult situation because uh, they're not going to openly say that they're going to lose the game, but. Um, that's that's the reality unless something extraordinary happens um, it's a very difficult situation and you've got to try and block that out as a team um, they've got to find uh, some sort of performance themselves um, I think obviously the, there was a lot of improvements against Italy um, but Italy are dis- different prospects um, England have scored 31 tries in the first three games which spells big trouble for Ireland on Sunday because um, they've been so powerful, um, aggressive, and probably ruthless is the word, Adrian. Um, they, they've been putting teams away. They have, I think it's 21 tests in a row they've won now, or 22 tests in a row. Um, they've not lost in a couple of years. So they're very, very ruthless in, in their approach to all these games. And if you look at the first three results, you know, they've put... 57 points on Scotland, 74 on Italy, and 58 on Wales. So they're big scorelines. So that's where we're at on Sunday. Um, Welford Road brings back good memories for me. I was talking to Neve, Neve Briggs about it during the week, um, and it's a great place to play. Um, there's going to be a big crowd there for them on Sunday. But all they can do, you know, you can't really. Of course, they'll have to analyse the English side and see and look at their strengths and know their players inside out, all their individuals, and that's part and parcel of your of your analysis. But they've got to try and focus on themselves and when they have the ball themselves, what they do, how they you know manage the set piece battle. Um, England have been very very dominant there, scrum and line out against teams. Their mall has been very powerful as well. So um, it's a tough ask for them, but a great challenge as well. You know, it's a great challenge for them. And for them to try and just focus on themselves is probably the key. It sounds very obvious, but they've got to make sure that they get a couple of opportunities that they try and take them and uh, and really test themselves physically because this is this is kind of the top of the game, isn't it? This is the, the very very top here where England are at. And you know, if the Irish team are aspiring to 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 grow and get stronger, well, they're they're going up front. And up close and personal with the with probably the best team in the world. It's surely not a sustainable situation where Ireland lose their best backs regularly for massive games. If they're going to have any chance of beating England over the next little while, they're going to need their best players available in all positions. And this isn't the first time that obviously Sevens um, have needed players. And obviously it's uh, something that the, the RFU will say is that there's more money around it and, and it's a more necessary requirement at the moment. But if we get into the next couple of years, Alan, what would you like to see as a solution to this situation? Is it, is it, a, is just, it a situation where... Just more hard- players, more players on and uh, more, more depth. And then... Um, you know, we all knew before the start of the competition that this was this was something that was going to happen. Um, so it's it's difficult for Ireland when they're losing a couple of players to the sevens again. Uh, but I think there's nothing you can do about it now. I think it's about more depth and um, and strengthening both sevens and fifteens. That there's enough of players there um, 
some of course will cross over at times because uh, and that will continue to happen but the more depth you have and that's part of the review process and the report has come out is to try and strengthen both both sevens and fifteens and uh, but it's certainly not ideal to lose some of your best players and your most attacking players um, with a trip to England. Is but the crossover sustainable, Alan? Like having to cross over players in the long term? I, mean? I don't know. I don't know because it depends. It's you know, it's it's difficult. I think you're jumping from one team to the other, uh, different tournaments. Um, probably not on um, unless um, you know. Depends on the diary and the schedule and the fixtures and all that kind of stuff. Um, probably not. And I do, I think. Ultimately, where they want to get to is probably to have that uh, quality and that depth in in both sevens and fifteens to be able to cope and uh, and not to rely on one or the other and waiting. I think it's not an ideal situation for for the head coach Greg McWilliams to be in this situation. But you know, if there's a superstar in the sevens that can play some of the fifteen get fifteens matches at certain times, I, of course that. That's um, you'd be foolish not to not to utilize that and go with that. But I think ultimately you want to get enough depth in in, in both. So there's going to be a tug of war at some point over these players if the 15s does make progress and the report that we saw at the start of the Six Nations comes to fruition and the 15s start to make progress again. There will there will be a battle for for some of these players you'd suspect, even though they're run by the same organisation. Yeah, and they've got to figure that out. Um, I think it's. Um, it's 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 a it's a tricky situation, and I think if you, as, as I said, if you can get enough of players, quality players, and upskilled, and the improvements that they're trying to achieve in the women's game, um, that that makes it less lesser of a problem, if you know what I mean. But like jumping from one to the other, I think is is a little bit counterproductive for their development as well. If you're the complete player who can, um, you know, play 15s very very comfortably, I think it's probably easier go. I got to be very careful here. I only played sevens once, but I would suspect it's a bit easier to go from fifteens to sevens if you're a really athletic, quick, skillful player. Someone like Mac Hansen that we're talking about—he's a brilliant fifteens player. I think he could slip over to sevens and be be outstanding at it. Um, but the other way, I think, because of the set piece stuff, um, the the breakdown uh, challenges that you have, it's probably a bit more trickier. But look, it's something they've got to try and figure out and. I think one way without making it, you know, telling anybody what to do, I think is if you have more players, then it, it eases that burden a little bit of, of using, having to use both. Uh, we better get a quick word on Munster before we let you let you away. Sometimes a bit of a lull after the Heineken Cup games can set in, but um, a lot on the line at, uh, in Belfast tonight. There is a lot of, on the line. Um, and I think, yeah, well, you know, for Ulster... Um, it's a kind of a tricky situation for them because of losing last week and there's maybe a narrative there that they'll be badly hurt and it'll be hard to pick themselves up. I think there's no better way to, than than getting rid of a, of a really disappointing loss and a heartbreaking loss than, than beating one of your biggest rivals the week after. So there'll be an incredible determination from, from Ulster to beat, to beat Munster at home. I don't think they've lost three games in a row since... It's 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 a good number of years since they've lost three games in a row at, um, in the league. They lost last week in Europe, but they lost their two games in South Africa as well. So um, they'll be very very determined to bounce back. There's no Dwayne from Mullen. Um, I've said this in the last couple of weeks. They've signed him for big European games. That's where, and I think he was outstanding in Toulouse and brilliant last week. His whole presence um, is just phenomenal, and I think he's he's brought them 
another level. And I think the competition and the way they've competed has been very impressive because they've limped out of Europe a few times, whereas this time they were very, very unlucky. So what Dan McFarlane has done is, is, has been really impressive. Some mistakes in that game last week just cost him. But for Munster, you know, they're down to the bare bones, aren't they, really? With, with you know, the, I was just thinking, wouldn't you love to be going to Belfast now with, with Gavin Coombs and Ty Byrne, Andrew Conway, Dave Kilcoyne? Um, and I think that, they, you know, having those guys even back this week would be a huge boost for Munster. But, you know, Peter Amani and Zebo are gone out of the team now. Um, whatever kind of knocks they picked up, um, it's a very, very tough game for Munster. And they sit fourth on 47 points. Very realistically, if they lose, well, it's a reality. If they lose tonight, they could easily be down to seventh or eighth. Um, Edinburgh are on seventh and 44 points. And they're, they're um, you know, they're, they have a home game or they're playing uh, Benetton this weekend, I think. And um, it's... Uh, the Sharks, the Stormers, the Bulls—they all have home games as well. So I think it's um, it's 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 a situation that Munster very very obviously need 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 to win this game. Edinburgh have Zebra at home, so they're going to win that. So they're going to kind of probably get five points and jump up to forty-nine. The Stormers depends what the Sharks do against Leinster, but um, the Stormers play Glasgow at home as well. So this, the South African teams, it's its incredible. They're going to be in the playoffs and they're probably three of them going to be in Europe next year. So Munster's games that they've left are against home to Cardiff and away to Leinster. So with three games left, I think they have to win two games to make sure that um, not alone are they in the playoffs, but to be in with any chance of, of having a home quarter final, which is a tall order at this stage. But... Um, it's a very tough game for them and as I said both sides will be desperate to win this game tonight Yeah and also especially so after what happened uh, last weekend Gwenny thanks William enjoy the games Cheers Thanks on the, line there. the Red 78 podcast by the way a reminder about that you can check it out you mentioned about talking to Neve Briggs uh, the two of them chatting all things Monster the Red 78 podcast a reminder by the way we're celebrating the end of the race season at Punchestown Festival and all with thanks to Close Brothers we've two pairs of tickets to give away to next week's festival one lucky winner is also between this morning and yesterday morning going to have their prize upgraded to include a lunch for two and B&B at the Louis Fitzgerald Hotel coach transfers as well to and from the race course so a really neat uh, prize to be give the chance to win just tell us who is this mystery voice you might as well be honest no point in taking the plaudits it wasn't my idea <laughs> you don't need a replay of that it's uh, 087-9180-180 you can text us in on WhatsApp or you can comment wherever it is that you're watching us this morning tweet us uh, your answer to at off the ball and we'll choose this morning's winners in a little bit and then one of the four between yesterday and today will go into the hat for that overall prize by the way here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio over the course of the day it'll be uh, OTB Gold from one o'clock Joe uh, in conversation with Ruby Walsh we'll have the uh, kickoff as well coming your way a little bit later today two o'clock I believe will be uh, the kickoff David Connolly and Jer and crew picking through events and games over the weekend as well uh, three o'clock will be Friday night racing this week Liam Coyle is the League of Ireland legend from four OTB Gold Wexford's 56 uh, team at 6 o'clock this evening as well and then off the ball live in your radio from 7 and uh, remember as well you can just ask your smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio and it connects you straight into all the good stuff and of course you can listen to OTB AM live on the OTB uh, uh, app as well every single morning uh, just talk to your smart speaker or download the app from you know, whatever provider you're with OTB 
A-M. All right, it's 23 minutes past nine. We've live crappy quiz coming your way very shortly. But uh, before all of that, Just Eat, who are official food delivery partner of Leinster Rugby, giving you the chance to decide Leinster's next big dish. And uh, you can vote for your favourite by ordering one of the three signature dishes before May the 11th and be given the chance to win a €1,000 Just Eat credit and uh, Leinster Rugby season tickets as well. So a lovely prize. And for more on all of that, you can go and see just-eat.ie. Uh, second row and resident baker, Devin Toner, was on hand for uh, that launch during the week and he's been chatting to Owen. How have things changed for you since you've actually announced your retirement? Because uh, on one hand, you think, right, the, the end of the, the career is in sight. But the other side of things, I presume there's a massive determination to make sure that those last few months are unbelievably successful and you get the very most out of it. Yeah, there is. Um, and nothing's probably changed since I announced because I've, I've pretty much known I've, I've, it was my last year, probably before Christmas. You know what I mean, so it's uh, nothing's really changed mentally. But like, I'm, I'm very much in the fact that I know that not a, no one really gets the fairy tale ending. A very, very few players get fairy tale endings, and, and I and I very much know that there's a huge amount of competition for second row in the Leinster squad at the minute. I think when you look at you've got James Ryan come back from injury, you've got Ryan Baird come back from injury, you've got Ross Maloney playing the best rugby of his life, you've got Josh Murphy's playing very well, you've got young lads like Joe McCarthy coming through who's who was ripping up trees, you know what I mean? So I, I very much know there's a lot of competition and the only games left are going to be quality or high quality knockout games. So whether I will be involved or not, I don't know. So I will obviously well, I'm going to do my best to show that I still have it and I still want to be involved and I still want to play those games. So whether I will or I won't, it's hard. But And again, it's hard not knowing what will be your last game. Do you mean mm. I might have played my last game already? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So it's, uh, it's, it's some, one of the things you have to get your head around. Anyway. When you mentioned the fairy tale ending there, it's such a brutal sport. And maybe even the fairy tale ending is just being able to retire on your own terms. Actually announcing before the end of the season that I'm going to stop playing and stopping to play when that moment is. Because obviously we've seen it with Dan Levy recently, just such a heartbreaking end to what was an absolutely fantastic uh, short career. Uh, I guess that the, the, there are no fairy tales in, the, in this this sport, which doesn't take any prisoners, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and I'm, you look at Dan and, and, and you look at his, what could have been, you know? And I think... I'm. I just realised that how lucky I am to 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 get to where I am to get to um, 36 in June, and 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 I'm, and I'm at a place where I'm where I'm retiring with a very healthy body. I think a lot of lads when they retire, they 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 have the kind of their tick list of what they need, all the surgeries they need to get, and I'm at a place where I don't need to get any, which is right. it's, uh, it's pretty special, uh, and it's and, it, and it's rare when it comes to pressure players as well. So I'm uh, I'm very much know how lucky I am. Is it just luck, Devin, or are there things that you've done throughout your career to try and create uh, greater chances for yourself? I don't know. People have asked me that before, and right. I, really, I really don't know. It could be luck. It could be that I'm very slow and I don't run very fast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, what is the, the one thing you're most looking forward to after stepping away and not having to go to training every morning? Uh, what am I? I'm looking forward to getting my weekends back, being able to plan, being able to book a holiday. Like I think we've, I've got centre parks booked for, for the family for Halloween, which is good to be able to book already. So it's been just being able to plan a bit more and, 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 and not have the uncertainty around weekends and plans of what we're going to do. Uh, I'm just looking forward to giving back time to the family as well. Like, 
That is Devin Toner in conversation with Owen and that uh, full piece will be available uh, for your delectation up on all our usual channels and you can check it out and it's all with thanks to uh, Just Eat as well. Right, oh, it is uh, time for a live Krabby Quiz. Chris Martin. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know, is that right? Uh, anybody else? Leash, was it? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome along to the shoutiest segment on Irish radio. It's the scintillating, it is the stupefying, it's the splendido crappy quiz. Oh, you nearly screwed that up. Mm-hmm, I sure it is. It's been long. It's been two weeks. Every Friday, we put uh, three of team off the ball up against each other in a no-holds-barred quiz of sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Our first contestant is the king of Friday mornings, the man who kickstarts your weekend with scorching hot takes and famous tangents on cool pop culture topics. It's Adrian, who's your daddy, Barry? Good morning. It's 9.28. We were supposed to be doing this at five past nine. That's how controlled, well, that's how controlled the environment is on a Friday morning. Friday's just, it's freewheeling, isn't it, Owen? It's just, you don't yeah, know what and, happens. And it ruins everybody else's day. <laughs> My weekend always gets off to the right start. That's what we're here for on Friday morning, ruining people's days. That's how we work. Our next contestant is the king of Monday through Thursday mornings, the man who kickstarts your weekdays with scorching hot takes and famous <laughs> tangents on cool pop culture topics. It's the artist formerly known as the mustachioed menace, Cher Gilroy. Owen's had a tough week. <laughs> it's been a week and our final contestant to make matters worse one of our contestants pulled out of the quiz that was the worst thing that happened to me this week our final contestant has developed a sort of Richard Williams relationship with his dog Hank the Tank has been programmed to dominate Crufts 2023 after these next 10 months of arduous training it's a Jim Gavin of the canine world Willow Callahan. Not sure exactly how well this is going to work out because I took the opportunity with my break at nine o'clock to bring Hank for a bath, somewhat in celebration <laughs> for the fact that, you know, minimal interference with the exception of the hurling section, I think, on Tuesday morning. I was like, ah, oh, we'll give him a reward, give him a nice bath. Always ends up that he gets hyper after a bath and he is now zooming around the couch <laughs> in the background, which is the reason that the background is blurred currently because he is running around and I, he's now climbing up on a speaker. So uh, I would imagine that Hank will probably take part in this quiz as much as I will over the next few minutes. Well, hopefully his distraction means that you're minus a couple of points. It's a, a handicap for you. Uh, uh, otherwise, Will's got to win this, like someone who knows something about stuff. Mm. You put him into your, it gets in, me and Adrian. That's like unfair. Do you put him into your actual bath? Yeah, I put him in the actual bath. Now, the water was only up to the top of his feet, so I gave him a nice little shampoo and Rubber a quick wash. And then, no, no, he's no rubber ducky, but he did get a, you know, he got nicely rinsed off and then he was zooming around, you know, running off the walls to try and dry himself <laughs> after I towel dried him. And now he is using the entire circumference of the kitchen and the living room uh, to try and zoom around. So I would imagine my light could fall, the mic could fall. This this could be a crappy quiz to remember in a moment. Well, I hope so. As ever, the format is mm. a classic crappy Three. quiz with a series of questions and a range of themes and it's onto the slip and slide of trivia, which is the rapid fire round. You can podcast a crappy quiz on otbsports.com or on the OTB Sports app. And if you're watching on YouTube, YouTube, make sure to click the thumbs up, even if you contribute nothing but misery to your day. Any questions, you can send them via postcard. We haven't got a postcard in ages to Crappy Quiz Quizmaster Off the Ball Towers, Marconi House, Diggs Lane, Dublin 2. And we have had a massive reaction to our last Crappy Quiz. This was, of course, our Masters special two weeks ago, where John Duggan blasted his way to victory in ridiculously impressive style. Liam Dunn said, that was special. Andre Manlutach said, not a golf fan, but I enjoyed that. It was all very civil, though, for a Crappy Quiz. Maybe because John and Joe are gentlemen. 
Nathan also took part in the quiz. Uh, <laughs> Celtic said, good quality answers, but bring back Gilroy and Adrian for the mayhem. And Barry Swain says, the beauty of the quiz is the joke it is taken for. This quiz is not beauty. A deeply offensive comment from Barry there, and we would like to um, completely... It was um, very, 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 very impressive. And it did also show up the shitness of your round where they, they you know, passed the parcel thing, where... Duggan was like pulling from his arse pocket like the the winners of the Masters in order back in the day and uh, and Nathan going Tiger Woods Jack Nicholas, <laughs> Tom Watson Tom Watson didn't win one obviously uh, or did he? I don't know but, um, uh, I think he's a, one of the official starters and, it, isn't and, he? So and he also the other thing is I, I think you, just on a point of information if you reach the end there shouldn't be a loser it should be it was a point for everybody was that it what was, it is? Yeah, yeah. okay okay yeah, right. so information taken back again crappy <laughs> quiz is perfect round one the boring questions round never multiple choice Adrian the Leinster football championship returns this weekend but which manager has won the Leinster championship more than any other over the past 50 years <laughs> so it's not the obvious one is that what we're saying don't look at him he's got his interested to know what do you think the obvious one is he's got a computer open there uh, Come on! Oh, like there's Way probably you're it's probably like, going to tell me there was a run, like somebody went on a run in the seventies and won four hundred of them in a row, or whatever. But I'm going yeah, to go with the obvious one, regardless. Jim Gavin. No, Jim Gavin is joint second with Hefo on seven. Number one, Sean Boylan with eight. Wow. Sure. Which city in the United States is the most successful sports city? So we're adding baseball, basketball, football, hockey and soccer national titles together to get the city with the most titles. And yes, there is a Wikipedia page with the numbers per city listed. So blame that if uh, you think I'm wrong. So sorry, what is it? Soccer? Soccer, basketball, football, hockey, baseball. Which city? Um, this is thinking? where Nathan style. I'm thinking that the Yankees, the Yankees give obviously New York a massive advantage over everybody else because they're miles ahead of everybody. But Los Angeles have had uh, the Dodgers and they've had the Galaxy like suddenly be relevant. Um, but then there's Boston, who obviously have the Celtics, and do um, the New England Patriots count as Boston? Yes. I'm going to go with the New York because of the Yankees. Correct. Well done. But that completely skews it, right? Six, yeah, it does. 35 baseball titles from there, 62. They would almost beat every other city alone with the Yankees. Uh, Boston of 40 in total, Chicago of 32, Los Angeles of 32. Uh, Lakers, of course, some of their titles weren't won in Los Angeles, so that would have diminished that number. So 62, New York well out in front. Uh I was going to say Arthur may or may not have been due to take part of the quiz Will uh, Eric Ten Hag is the latest Dutchman to enter the Premier League but which Dutch manager currently holds the record for the best win rate in Premier League history having overseen 34 games and won 18 of them Ghost hitting? Correct Ooh. Will is off the mark uh, Round 2 is the multiple choice Munster round of mania round this round is a great opportunity to impress your friends by proving to them that you know loads about the Munster Hurling Championship and about other things too. Adrian, which of these things happened least recently? A. Cork won their last senior All-Ireland Hurling title. B. The first iPhone was released. Or C. Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. So which of those happened the longest time ago? 
<laughs> Christ, you could have worded that slightly better, couldn't you? I couldn't which, really think of any think? longest time ago. What is what is the word released recently? <laughs> which, I mean, is is it, which, which happened first? First, first. <laughs> <laughs> least recently. <laughs> I was there, staring over the script like five what, minutes. Ta- like, Tom Brady's first Super Bowl, the iPhone, and Cork's last All Ireland hurling win. Correct. Which well, Tom Brady first. has been around for. So Tom Brady must... It's got to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Correct. Jojo had to just give it there, yeah. No, that was, that was your answer anyway, yeah. Tom Brady, 2002. Uh, Cork was 2005. iPhone was 2007. Was the iPhone 07, right? Jesus. Ger, who is the tallest? A, Kyle Hayes. B, Virgil van Dyke. Or C, Dwayne Wade. Oh, bollocks. I don't know anything about Dwayne Wade. I'm going to go Kyle Hayes, though. Correct. Good answer. Uh, Hayes is 6'5 the other two are 6'4 Arthur oh, sorry Will <laughs> <laughs> this is going to go down officially on that website as well as an Arthur uh, win if I do win but anyway yeah. uh, which of the following uh, lasted the shortest period of time I hope <laughs> A Babs Keating second reign as Tipperary manager <laughs> B <laughs> B Jose Mourinho's stint as Manchester United manager or C, Ronald Koeman's stint as Netherlands manager. Which of those lasted the shortest period of time? These all have to be fairly close. These are all somewhere between two and three years, I think. Bob's second stint, I'm going to guess. Correct. It was 665 days. Jose went a full 900. And Ronald Koeman was 925 days. So there you go. Will, you're on two points. Jerry, you're on two points. Adrian, you're on one point as we enter the past the parcel of doom round. You know the rules at this stage. You just give me a name that's on the list. And we keep going through the list until you get one wrong or you can't give me a name, at which point you're eliminated. Last man standing it's gets a computer. the point. It's an open it's cheat. A computer. It's a computer. The adjudicator can look at any point to see whether it's cheating. They shouldn't have to. If, if I'm cheating... We, I mean, if we trusted you, Adrian, it wouldn't be a big deal, would it? If, if I'm cheating for the, my win rate, there's something... Desperately I mean, wrong. you're just bad at cheating. Like, what's the... <laughs> Adrian, you kick us off here. Can you name a player who has won the World Rugby Men's 15th Player of the Year Award since its inception in 2001? Uh, Dan Carter. Correct. Ger. Richie McCall. Correct. Will. Uh, Anton Dupont. Anton Dupont is correct. Adrian, back to you. Keith Wood. Keith Wood is correct. He won the first one. Ger. Uh... Colby no Cheslin Colby did not win it uh, Will uh, I'm going to go for Brian Habana Brian Habana is correct yeah 2007 Adrian Johnny Wilkinson Johnny Wilkinson is correct he's looking it up hmm. this is tricky now because there's like it is because you're supposed to have said an answer by now I know you're trying to think of World Cup years here as well though. no uh, you're supposed to think of an answer uh, TikTok. Come on, William. Okay. Hello. Yeah. Molina. No, I can't believe Adrian got the, the like. You missed the most obvious. I would have gone for Khaleesi. Jonathan Sexton, 2018, was World Player of the Year. Bowden Barrett did it twice. Uh, Charles Berger, Thierry Dusatoir, uh, Peter Steph Dutoit was 2019. Fabian Galtier, Kieran Reid, Brody Retallick, and Shane Williams as well as Sexton were the ones you didn't say. We're all square. It's two apiece. Sure. Can you name a player who played for Dublin in the 2011 All Ireland football final? Uh, 2011, uh, Bernard Brogan. Correct. It goes to Will next. Cluxton. Correct. 
Uh, Alan Brogan. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Eamon Fennell. Yeah, correct. Came off the bench that day. Arthur. McMenamin. Will. <laughs> uh, correct. Sorry, Will. Yeah. Um. Kieran Whelan? No. Oh, oh no, yeah. sure, Jesus Christ. Bloody hell, he My stepped God. right on that banana skin. That was a desperate My goal? Yeah. Philly McMahon. Philly McMahon's correct. Oh, there were so many more. Johnny Cooper? No. Oh, uh. Johnny Cooper's too young. Uh, Jer gets the point. Michael Dara? No, yes, sorry, yes, Michael Dara was there. Uh, Dennis Bastic, Jer Brennan, Barry Cahill, Dermot Connolly, Brian Cullen, see all in coppers, Michael Fitzsimons, Paul Flynn, Michael Dara, as you say, James McCarthy, Kevin Nolan, man of the match, Rory O'Carroll, Owen O'Gara, and Keno Sullivan were the remaining names. Mm. Will, you can kick us off with this one. Can you name a player who has scored a goal in any competition for Manchester United this season? Oh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Correct. It goes to uh, Adrian next. Fred. Correct. Alanga. Correct. Uh, Rashford. Correct. Um, Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw is not correct. Luke Shaw is not scoring a goal. You are out. Ger. Greenwood. Greenwood is correct. Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes, yep. McTominay. McTominay, yeah, good shout. Pogba? Pogba is correct. We're doing well here. There are six left. Maguire. Maguire, five left. Maguire? Okay. Sorry, there's still six left. I'm missing one there. Six left, okay. Uh, Come on. All right, give us a second. No. Easy now. One uh, Bissaka? No, Gerard gets the point again. Gerard's gone too clear. The remaining ones were Edinson Cavani, Jesse Lingard, Anthony Martial, Jaden Sancho, Alex Tellez, and Donny van de Beek. Oh, I was going to say Dallow next. I was also going to say Luke Shaw when you yeah, jumped in. With him. It seemed like pretty obvious. One. I thought Luke Shaw had scored a goal. Much football, does he? Is. I thought he scored a goal. It's four-two-two uh, to Ger. Round four is the fun-free <laughs> magic number round. Contestants get three points for getting the number exactly right. If no one manages that, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets two points. The second closest gets one point. I'm going to say that we can only accept the answer that's written on your paper, and I'm also going to have to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number. Uh, the number of Leinster senior football titles Wicklow has ever won, plus the number of professional fights Katie Taylor has fought so far in her career, plus the number of times Manchester City have won the top division of English football in the club's entire history, plus the number in the women's FIFA rankings where the Republic of Ireland are currently placed. Your 30 seconds expire when Snatcher sings Bright Shiny Beads. So how many Leinster football titles have Wicklow won ever? How many fights has Katie Taylor had in the professional game? How many times have Manchester City won the top flight of English football? All time. And then where are Ireland in the FIFA rankings in women's football? We'll go to the man beaming in from down the country, Will, first. Yeah, I've gone with 62. 62, Ger. 64. Adrian? 34. 34. <laughs> Adrian was the furthest away, but the only one who doesn't go bust. Yes! Ah. 
Uh, uh, another great moment for Adrian Barry. The uh, the answer was 57, by the way. Uh, Wicklow have never won the Leinster Senior Football Championship. Katie Taylor has fought 20 times in the professional game. Manchester City have won the top flight of English football seven times. Mm. And uh, the place where Ireland are in the rankings is 30th. So you add that up, you get to 57. The ranking uh, did me. We tossed a coin before coming on air. Ger versus Adrian Ger won the toss. Where did you think we were ranked? 20, I, I had 25 initially, and then the last second, I changed it to 20. Nice. That wasn't that far off like, my initial Katie touch. Taylor's had about four fights then? Eight. I had her down for eight, Will. Uh, you had Katie Taylor down for eight fights? Yeah. Eight professional fights? Listen, who's sitting there with the points, lads? <laughs> oh my God. Our winner tonight will be decided in the round that separates the men from the boys the Austin Gleasons from the Austin Powerses it's an no theme in particular ridiculous the Austin the fire round the score you get in this round will be added to your score in the previous round there'll be 40 seconds for everyone to answer from the same set of questions uh, we're going to start with Jared then on to Adrian then on to Will if you get a question correct I'll keep asking you questions until you get one wrong and then I move on to the next person and you get to duck to the point Jared what's the, what's the, what are the scores? 4-4-2 four, four, mm. Will trailing Sean, Jerry, nice formation. It is a lovely formation. Jerry, you ready? Not really. Your 40 seconds starts now. Who did Dublin beat in the Leinster football final last year? Kildare. Correct. Carla Sainz drives to which Formula 1 team? Ferrari. Correct. Name the club <laughs> captain of Manchester United. Maguire. <laughs> Correct. What county is Munster's Jack O'Donoghue from? Ah, oh, stop. Waterford. Correct. Who is currently second in La Liga? Barcelona. Correct. Name either of the confirmed teams in England's World Cup group later this year. Poland No, Iran or USA Who is the reigning world snooker champion Selby or Trump, Adrian? Selby Correct Who is second in the Premier League top scorers for this season Youngmin Son or Diogo Jota? Son uh, Correct Mikhail Antonio plays his international football for which country? Uruguay No <laughs> <laughs> Yes Jamaica Jar <laughs> uh, wins obviously Woo! Comprehensive Two things He hadn't a clue about Ferrari It's the only team he knows and Harry Maguire what I mean it's true that is like that's not even a one yard tap in that's stealing someone else's goal there you go that's ridiculous I'm like an absolute a mullering of everybody I lay awake I was was pretty close in the end I'd say I love the smell of napalm in the morning can Arthur go down on the record as my score from this quiz, please? Yes, we have to pass it on. <laughs> there was no interference from Frank the Tank, which I'm desperately disappointed with. No. But uh, thank you for taking part, Will. Thank you as ever for taking he's part. He's chewing Adrian. a spoon and at the moment is what he's doing. Oh, nice. Uh, congratulations. One of the great all time quizzes there. Lads, well done to everybody. Congratulations. Are you joking me? No! Is that right? I know! Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Leash, was like, that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you only need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.